You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hello, welcome to episode 48 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Thank you. My name is Bethany, and today I have two new guests from MNK Talk YA podcast. Do you like to take a second, introduce yourselves, and talk about your podcast? Sure. Thanks for having us. Happy to have you. Um, so, yeah, our podcast is called MNK Talk YA. Um, I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. That's just how we start our <laughs> podcast. So it's normal to do it that way. But yeah, I'm the K. She's the M. And we actually, our first series that we did on our podcast, which was back in 2017, was The Lunar Chronicles. So it's fun to revisit it right now. I know this is like a special series for us because it's like the series that kind of started it all for us. Um, and kind of one of the series that like made us want to start a podcast in the first place. Because we talk about all YA books, specifically like YA fantasy and sci-fi. And we loved your podcast because I feel like there are so many YA podcasts out there that do like one episode per book. And I feel like that's not enough. So (laughs) when we started it, we decided we were going to read half a book and then record an episode um, so we could like make predictions about what was going to happen. And then uh, read the second half of the book and do another episode. So we always do two episodes per book, um, which felt good to us. But then we discovered your podcast that is like <laughs> chapter by chapter detail. And I was like, this is even better. This is <laughs> more is more is better, in my opinion. And then we saw your notes and we were like, wow, we do not do enough for our episode. <laughs> no, but I, it is fun. We've done all of our series. We pick Uh, like YA series but we always pick ones where all the books are out already so we can read the whole series in a row and they haven't been made into a movie yet which is just fun (laughs) because I like to I always feel like when they make movies even if it's a book I love or I like what they did with it it changes the way I think about the book or imagine the characters so it's fun to not have that yeah I would say that's definitely true and for worse or for better I guess I I'm trying to think the only book versus movie where I liked the movie at least as much as the book was Bridget Jones. And that's mostly mm. because the actors and the chemistry and the like physical comedy that they had is just like could not have picked, picked better actors, could not have found better chemistry and dynamic between them, like just perfection. Otherwise, 
they're not the same. (laughs) (laughs) I almost like it best when they miss the book so much that it just feels like a different story. And I'm like, okay, that was a good movie. It wasn't based on the book I read, but it was entertaining. You know, we came to, I did an episode of Ella Enchanted book versus movie as a Patreon bonus episode. And that was kind of the conclusion we came to. It was like, man, this was a great book. And I want to compare it to the movie but the movie doesn't hold up and I'm not sure they have anything in common. <laughs> at all. Just the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the title. Just And you know, that's what happens a lot of times when it's movies. It's, I think that's part of the issue with Harry Potter is that, mm. you know, it's, it has the title. <laughs> it, tr- it tried to give you like the majority of the story plot, but some of us spent like 20 years with that series and we had really high expectations. Yeah, we had big so. investment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm super excited to see the um, Six of Crows adaptation that's oh. coming to Netflix. Um, and I have like so much respect for Lee Bardugo for so many reasons, but one of them is because they wanted to make a movie out of it. And she was like, no. We're not doing that. Like, she refused to withhold her rights until Netflix agreed to do, like, a multi-episode series. And I was like, thank God. Like, that is the right way to tell that series. It has to be, like, multiple episodes, not just crammed into one, like, two-and-a-half-hour movie. If only more authors had the forethought to do that would be great. The rights to this series were sold Many years ago, according to the internet, as far as I know, nothing has come of it. I think TV shows like Game of Thrones, however, have proven, and Vampire Diaries and Pretty Little Liars, like, I think that the success of those shows have proven how successful a TV show adaptation versus a movie adaptation can be. So I'm hopeful that these will be a TV series. I know some people have said they want an anime. I like anime. I don't know if the... Sometimes anime has like a really big cheese factor that might not work well yeah. for this I series. But some camp being okay for this series, so I'm a big yeah. anime fan too. So, but with all the visual effects that they're gonna have to do for this series, they kind of need to do some kind of animation or have a really high CGI budget. Yeah. So, not sure. Yeah. Whoever has the movie rights, message me. I'd love to give you some pointers. <laughs> We'd love uh, to give you all our opinions. <laughs> we have so many opinions. <laughs> Do you remember how you found out about the series? Like, which was the first book you read by Marissa Meyer? How you found out about the series in general? I think Marissa told me to read it. So how did you find it, Marissa? <laughs> um, I found out about it because I really love um, different retellings of fairy tales. It's like one of my guilty pleasures. Um, so I think I think I found it back in like 2014. Um, and I think it was like, I came across it on Goodreads and the picture on the front, like the front cover just kind of grabbed me or it was like this like beautiful slipper, but then there's like a skeleton outline in it. And I was like, oh, this is definitely for me because it looks like a fairy tale retelling and it also looks slightly dark and sci-fi, which is both things are my jam. So I was definitely interested. And then, yeah, I think I did tell, I don't want to know when I told you to read it, Katie, but I know you did pretty soon. Um, well, I and- trust you, but this is not <laughs> probably a book I would have picked up normally because I'm not as into like the sci-fi side. Like if someone was like, it's Cinderella, but cyborgs, I'd be like, that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> but now I love it. 
I've always been big into fairy tale retellings like Gail Carson Levine, K.M. Shea, Alex Lynn. Love those books. I love all fairy tale retellings. So when I saw this, I had the same reaction. I was like, ooh, red high heel and the name is Cinder sold. Like, I think for me, the series really got interesting like with the second and later books too, because of how big the world got and how like Cinder was good. But what really makes it, I think is all four together, like having all these like layers and layers of fairy tale retellings mixed together and some of the complications. And I like love Lavana as a villain. She's like one of my favorite (laughs) villains. So yes. And one of the things that I think is the best and worst part of the podcast is how big that world is. Cause I decided early on to be spoiler free. And Mm. I was like, this way I'll, you know, be able to pick up on all the foreshadowing clues and I can do that with listeners. It'll be something fun that we do together. But it also means that like every time something happens that I know is going to come back, I want to talk about it and I can't, (laughs) (laughs) which is what I mostly use Patreon for now is like somebody talk to me about spoilers, but (laughs) it's amazing how big these books get. I feel like every character we meet it's just opening one more door to another person. Because by the time you get to the fourth book, Winter, it's like a different perspective every chapter. It's mm-hmm. insane how much is going on. I think I read Winter. Yeah, I read Winter in one sitting. I remember because I requested oh, wow. I requested the day off work. I used PTO. <laughs> and I had only worked there for like eight months. So when I went in... And I was like, hey, I've never taken PTO yet. She was like, you haven't? I was like, no, but I, I need to take this Tuesday and Wednesday off. And she's like, sure, you just have to fill out a paper. And I was like, no, paper. And I was like, ooh, you need a reason. She was like, yeah. I was like, all right, don't judge me, but I've been waiting a year and a half for this book. <laughs> so I need Tuesday and Wednesday off so I can read it because I'm, I'm not going to wait till Friday when I get off work. And she was like, okay. It's your PTO. You use it how you want. And I was like, okay. Very true. Book release was my reason. (laughs) I read it like I ordered, I had it pre-ordered on my Kindle. So it got there at midnight, like right at midnight, it was downloading. So I stayed up until midnight. Like I took a nap from, I got home from work at like five. And I think I napped from like eight to 1130. And then I got up and as soon as it downloaded, I just read it. My husband was wonderful. He brought me Starbucks and and McDonald's at like 9am, I think. And that's he brought me so dinner that afternoon. Yeah, it's but great. See, that's so cool because that, um, like, to me, what you, how you just said that reminded me of when I was in, like, high school and the Harry Potter books came out and how you would just <laughs> clear your schedule, knew you yes. weren't going to sleep for days until you finished that book. And, like, I can't. I, I wish I could get that feeling back. Like, there are books that when they come out, I'm super, super psyched for. But, like, to me, I still, I just haven't found that, like, level of excitement that Harry Potter brought me, like the new release books. All well, I'm her so... books are like that. Cause I got that way when Supernova came out. Mm. I made sure, and right now I'm a full-time student and I have a part-time job. So I made sure I had the day off <laughs> and I made sure I worked ahead on all of my homework, like at least three or four days ahead. And I even told my husband, I was like, okay, it'll be here Thursday morning. So, you know, I'll see you Friday. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I mean, we've been together 10 years now, so he's he's used to it. But definitely when we first got together and I was like, OK, I have a new book coming out. So I'll see you in like 19 hours. He's like, what? Like, I'm going to go to my room and read my book. Like what? <laughs> I guess I did do that when um when 
Do you know Marie, Marie Lou's books, um, Legends, Prodigy, and Champion? I do not. So I was obsessed with those books. Um, Katie you knows were. this very yeah. well. I'm sure, <laughs> I think you like know where this story is going. But um, she came out with graphic novels for each of the book recently. And I was so excited for them that um, the, the first one came out actually the night I got married. Oh, and so it was like literally my wedding night. And like, we had like finished the party. It was like 2am. Like everyone was asleep. Like everyone was, everyone was in bed. And I was just sitting there. And I was like, I know this graphic novel came out at midnight tonight. And I stayed up on my wedding night and read the entire thing. And I was like, this is slightly embarrassing. But no, I don't care. It's, not. it's wonderful. I love I'm, it. I think books like that are perfect. I right now just started reading a series. Um, it's a fairy tale adaptation series by K.M. Shea. And I'm on book five or six. And I've been reading them with my friend Janie. Like I started reading them and I texted her and I was like, you have Kindle Unlimited, right? And she's like, yeah. I was like, and you're home from work, right? And she's like, yeah. It's like, read these books right now. <laughs> so we've been like simultaneously reading and texting each other. And I was up until 4 a.m. last week. Because I was sitting in bed and I have like a little nightlight and my Kindle has the backlight. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do one more chapter. And Kindle has this thing that is a death and a curse because in the bottom it'll tell you like seven minutes left in chapter. So mm-hmm. every time you're about to be like, no, just one more chapter, you see like, oh, it's only seven minutes. It's fine. I'll just seven extra minutes is fine. And then you get to the next chapter and it's like 12 <laughs> minutes. Like, okay. It's just another 12 minutes. It's fine. And the next thing you know, it's 410 and you're still mm-hmm. awake reading this book. <laughs> and you're like, I'll just read faster and then it'll just be 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't quite gotten that far yet. There, I don't know if I can read faster. <laughs> Do you have a favorite novel by Marissa Meyer or a favorite character? I mean, Thorne is my favorite character by Me far. Me and Lavana <laughs> is my favorite villain, like across multiple series for sure. But, uh, yeah, I fall for every pirate prince, and, like, Thorn is the perfect. <laughs> That's fair. I think my favorite book is Cress. Mine because too. I think Cress is my favorite character, and I loved how, I mean, she does this in all of the books, but um, I thought especially in Cress, she did a really good job of, like, taking the original fairy tale and then adapting it in, like, really cool ways. Yeah. Um, so I loved, like, the detail of um, Thorn's oh, shitlers. Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. You're right. No okay. Spoilers. But fairy tale adaptation, we know it's an adaptation, so that's fine. But none yes. of the good stuff. Right, right, right. I won't. But that means it. you have to come back for episodes of Crest, which will start in end of June, I think, is when I'm starting Crest. So you'll have to make sure you come back for some of those episodes. Well, we're here. Yay. I have some friends that have already claimed a couple of chapters of Crest. And. <laughs> One of my friends, her favorite character is Thorne, and she claimed a very specific scene from the end of winter. And I was like, that's like two years from now. Like, that's (laughs) after Scarlet, after Cress, and after Ferris. Like, I'm not going to remember. You're going to have to remind me in two years that you need that scene. Because I'm going to forget all about it. I just finished the projection schedule for Cress, and we're not even going to finish Cress until, um, like, May of next year. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> after Crest, it's Ferris and then winter. So it's just going to be a really long time before we get there. <laughs> so today we're covering chapters 27 and 28 of Scarlet. But first, I actually have two pieces of fan art to share. I usually only do one piece of fan art, but I got this first one I just got permission for. 
and I really wanted to share it since we're in Paris. So the first one is from, they're both posted on May 1st, and it's a backdrop of Paris with the moon, like a huge moon above the Eiffel Tower and a red cloak that looks exactly like the cover of Scarlet blowing in the wind, and it's nighttime, and it's perfection. It's by Book Perfect 2 on Instagram, and I could not think of a better chapter to share it for, so I just had to add it in there. I love it. It makes me want to go there, like, right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I agree. And then the next one is of Kai by Tara Tija on Instagram, who's shared artwork before, which is great, so thank you. And I actually really like this image of Kai. I think he looks very put together. I think Torin would be proud of his appearance in this picture. <laughs> he would. No wrinkles. What is he holding? A, I, I was thinking either a port or a camera. I really thought it was Cinder's foot. Oh, duh. It's totally Cinder's foot. Oh. Like, yeah. Because little wires coming out It's it. definitely Cinder's foot. <laughs> it's okay. It's not like I post a podcast about these books. <laughs> so you can follow both those artists on Instagram. Thank you for sharing. Last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles. Chapter 25 is titled Unsteady by Ambassadors. And chapter 26 is titled Pompeii by Bastille. Oh, I love that song. Oh, I do too. Yeah. This picture is so beautiful. And it's it look it's a photograph, right? Or it's like some kind of collage. Which one? The Paris one? It's oh. digital art. Wow, that's gorgeous. Yeah, digital art might be the most amazing thing I've ever seen. If you get a chance to check out our Instagram, there is so many like good digital art pictures that we have that I got lucky enough to get permission for. Actually, I encourage everyone to go check out Book Perfect to the Instagram account because it's an actual, like, if you click on it on that account, the cloak moves and the stars oh, twinkle. Oh, cool. So the stars kind of twinkle in the background and the cloak is, like, very clearly blowing in the wind. And it's incredible. And I wish I could do that on here, but I can't. I tried. Fan art is such a, such a dangerous rabbit hole to go down just in terms of, like, a time a time suck because like yeah it, you can just keep going and going and going and there's so many incredible things out there that people have done and they're so talented and it's just like especially when you have a book that you love and there isn't um a movie rendition or any kind of adaptation just like seeing the characters in real life is there's just something so special about that I like it more than a movie like even if a movie exists I'd rather see multiple readers different perspectives mm-hmm. of a character than an actor I think I would too. And I think probably one of my favorite things is that I started Fan Art Friday. It got started somewhat early on. I think I think we'd only have been out for like two or three months when I started Fan Art Friday. But I get so I have you guys have no idea, but I have like a hundred saved images on my phone oh. because I'm spoiler free. So I get permission. <laughs> to use certain images and I'm like okay this has to wait for this specific chapter like I can't share it until I get to this chapter or like Thorn I had like five different fan arts of Thorn and I was like well I can't do this until we meet Thorn so I just like messaged the artist and I was like hey I'm spoiler free so I can't share this for like nine months but can you just send them all to me (laughs) in nine months can I please have permission (laughs) Katie will make a spreadsheet for you so you know exactly when to release them (laughs) oh my gosh I try to line it up 
what I've started doing is I'm trying to line it up with the chapters so that whatever art we're talking about goes with the chapters that we're talking about, which is sometimes easy and sometimes really, 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 really hard, um, especially if I get fan art and I'm impatient to share it. Mm. I would like, be so bad at that. I wouldn't remember in a year or nine months. Except I have, Thorne. I couldn't I have, forget like, him. so many spreadsheets. It's <laughs> like I have a guest schedule. I have a fan art schedule. I have I have a chapter schedule. I have a Patreon gets a bonus episode every month. So they have a schedule like just it's a so rabbit funny. hole that is like my my file folder for Prince Kai fan pod is huge. <laughs> For our episodes, we talk about half a book at a time, but we also go on all these tangents. So, like, for these books, we talked about the uh, fairy tales they were based on. And if we, like, yeah. do something in space, it'll be, like, how to survive in space. Or if someone, like, <laughs> falls in the water, it'll be, like, what to do to avoid hypothermia. So we just go off on these random tangents. But then I re-listen to old episodes, and I'm listening to myself explain something. And I've already forgotten it. And I'm like, this is fascinating <laughs> all over again. But that is nice because we have people who listen to our podcast who don't read the books, but they just like the research segment we do. So like, um, I mean, they're more than just tangents, tangents, like we do take time to like research a specific thing in the book that we found interesting and then, um, you know, talk about that at some point during our discussion. Um, but like pretty much everyone I know who listens to the podcast doesn't read the books and they're just like, oh, no, I just <laughs> thought that really was interesting that you covered the history of fighting duels or like <laughs> how to survive hypothermia if you're in the Antarctic, you know, like it's, it's interesting what people tune in for. Yeah. We talked about my guest Leah from YA book chat podcast last episode. We were talking about how Scarlett should really be more aware of her surroundings as a young woman alone in a strange mm. city, in the dark. Hey listeners, so since the recording of this episode, I actually had someone reach out to me and tell me that putting your keys in between your fingers is not the most appropriate way to protect yourself. And what instead you should do is hold the handle of the key in the palm of your hand and have the sharp pointed edge of the key pointing outward so that you can use it as sort of a sharp weapon, sort of like a knife. So there's a, a link I can share if you want to message me. I'd be happy to share it with you. But I wanted to update you and let you know that the information shared in this episode was a little askew. So thank you. Keep listening. And we talked about like ways that you can protect yourself <laughs> when you're alone. Like she'd never heard. Have you heard of putting keys in between your fingers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She'd never heard of that. So she was like, what? I was like, yeah, Wolverine style. Like I met, I'm, I learned that as like a 10 year old latchkey kid. So mm -hmm. <laughs> They have um, the cute cat device now that's like cat ears that you just Yeah, like I saw that one. <laughs> that was a good one. So we were talking about that because I felt like Scarlett wasn't prepared and wasn't aware of all the red flags going on around her. It's like, this poor fair, girl. She had a gun. <laughs> she I, did have a gun. I mean, it doesn't do you much good if somebody can sneak up on you, though. Like, <laughs> how long does it take you to get the gun is the thing. <laughs> I had a good detail to remember. <laughs> I had pepper spray when I lived in Chicago and I had a hole in my winter coat and I flew back to visit my parents in Arizona and the pepper spray fell through the hole in my coat and I was wearing it on the air to the airport oh, no. and they oh. found pepper spray in the lining of my coat <laughs> and definitely thought I was some kind of terrorist. Oh, and, no. Yeah, it was not good. So I'm more oh. dangerous to myself than anyone else. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was one of the things I said. I was like, I have pepper spray. My husband has pepper spray. Like, everywhere in my house, there's pepper And my husband's not, like, a small person. Like, he's over six feet tall. He's over 200 pounds. He's in the military. Like, he's perfectly capable of defending himself. And he carries pepper spray. Like, it's just smart to do what you can to defend yourself. That's what we spent too much time talking about last episode. Because I was like, I was like, everyone should just be aware, especially if you're a small, like, I'm a small person. So I'm very aware. I've always been aware. Well, and if you're going into a situation with like some kind of gang of fighting people who've kidnapped your grandmother who was part of the army or whatever, or the Nate, whatever, what was she? Air Force? I don't even remember now. <laughs> and you don't it have a plan. Said, yeah, I just yeah. said military, but she was a pilot. So we can assume army, air force, something. Yeah. Yeah. Stop and that's going to come up with a plan. <laughs> we talked about that a lot in the last episode of like, man, she is like blatantly unaware of everything that's going on around her. She almost got hit by a train and she didn't notice all these people following her. And there's even more of that in this chapter. So last week we left off with Scarlet and Wolf walking into the opera house in Paris. I'm really glad that we're still with them because sometimes it goes to the next chapter and we're with different people. And right now I really want to know what happens with Wolf and Scarlet. It's super scary. It's super eerie. And we talked about this a couple minutes before we recorded, but I was so terrified reading this chapter. And I don't <laughs> remember being that terrified reading this the first few times, but like reading each sentence by itself while I'm trying to take notes. So I'm like, I'm trying to absorb every tiny word. I'm like, this is really scary. Like the atmosphere is set like the scene is drawn out for you she's walking in it's pitch black the only light is from this tiny scary window in the ceiling and these old flickering candles and okay. question <laughs> about the candles though yes who, who was lighting these candles <laughs> i'm just imagining one of these like gang members <laughs> whose job just... is to light 50,000 candles around this old cathedral. Definitely <laughs> like an Omega. A, right. I was going to say it's got to be Omega, like Walter or something. I don't know. <laughs> like Omega Bob has to go light the candles. I think I was aware of it. I saw this comic this week that was like aliens who like one gave another a candle and he was like, you need a second tool to turn it on. And it doesn't really help you see anything, but if you knock it over, it'll destroy everything it touches. And just like, it was like talking about basically how silly candles are. And I'm like, we're in the future. We're in a game. Like, this is the best light source we could come up with. You know, it's interesting too, is that it's an actual candle. It doesn't say that it's one of those, you know how they have like battery operated candles now where it looks like a flickering flame, but it's not a flickering flame. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it doesn't even say that, like it's a legit burning candle so that means that someone the master jl had to be like omega bob please take a moment to light the candles we want to set the atmosphere for mademoiselle benoit like (laughs) so she thinks she's gonna walk in on this like gang that's ready for you know this like (laughs) gang of fighters and she walks in and it's like a sorority initiation or something (laughs) she's expecting like al capone people waiting in the corner with like suits and guns and instead she gets creepy dark decrepit opera house with wax figures and statues in the shadows and thrilled if I walked into a place like that yeah (laughs) if I didn't know it was filled with like violent gang members I might be (laughs) but in this moment no I'm not (laughs) and again I think she should have had her gun out walking in right why wasn't she she reaches for it like way too late in the chapter in my brain if this was me there would be like 
background music in my head and I would have the gun like next to my face you know like they do in cop movies where you're turning the corner and you're about to shoot and stuff and I'd be like sound effects going off (laughs) and she leaves her um messaging device on right like she yeah, gets a, like, her point up on anybody that way <laughs> like as soon as they walk in it's it's dead quiet and then all of a sudden it's like ding I'm like you have five new messages it's like you got on, girl. <laughs> and she stops to check it too <laughs> she, she's like who's texting <laughs> they go in and there's no possibility of her getting out at this point it's completely dark she sees no exit other than a tiny window hundreds of feet above her head and she goes, maybe they're sleeping. <laughs> Sweetie, you know that they followed you all over France. Like, they knew you were coming. They're not asleep. They're biding their time and they're trying to scare you. This is a tactic. I feel like even if you're going for humor and nonchalance or whatever, like she said, there's better lines than that. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe they should redecorate or maybe yeah. they should get some electricity put in there. It's a little old fashioned to have these candles. Yeah, maybe they're lighting all the candles in the hallway. It'll be a while. Yeah, something. <laughs> I could genuinely see it being a way to, like, just set the scene to scare her more. But that's just mm. me, you know. Or maybe Marissa Meyer was like, what'll make this spookier? Well, I can't have it be completely dark. But candles don't offer a lot of light, and then they can kind of create a shot. Okay, I'll do candles. Like, yeah. you know. It definitely sets the scene well. I agree. Yeah, I just was, like, imagining actually prepping it and it was funny to me i hate lighting candles <laughs> some omega walking around with a box of matches <laughs> or one of those lighters that's like uh got an extended yeah. wick on it so you a can... torch lighter yes <laughs> and then yeah. some annoying gang member like blows a few of them out just to mess with whoever's in charge of lighting oh it. no omega bob there's you've missed these two <laughs> this is a long okay, shot so... but have either one of you by any chance seen meet me in st louis no with Judy Garland Mm -mm. very old movie one of my favorites if anybody likes old musicals with Judy Garland but the house still has kerosene lamps Mm. and to turn it to dim and undim the lights you turn up the heat of the flame like the amount of oil and heat that the flame is getting and so to set the scene for this boy she wants to kiss her she goes around the entire house and turns down all the lights so it's like super dim. But she's not supposed to. So as soon as he leaves the house, she like runs back around and turns the lights back up. And so I kind of get this image in my head of like her running around the, the yeah. I almost said cathedral. And I get the image of her running around the opera house, like just turning on and turning off all these little lights. Set the scene real well. <laughs> so Wolf is super tense and... There's no signs that anyone has lived there. She can't even smell food and she feels trapped like a mouse. She annoys me because she goes, you have visitors. (laughs) Why aren't you paying attention to us? (laughs) Well, I just want her to take a moment and like absorb her surroundings. Like, yes, she's paying attention to certain things. But and I've talked about this on episodes before, like I have a fear of being trapped so the first thing I do when a door like that slams and I'm in a creepy situation is look for some kind of exit strategy. I'm not asking if anybody's home. I'm looking to see mm-hmm. if there's a trap door somewhere, if there's a way I like, is there something I can use as a weapon? Like, and instead she's like, is anybody home? I came here to get my grandma and I'm tired of waiting. But I kind of love that because um, I think like the great thing about Scarlet is like, whenever she's afraid, it comes out of her as anger. So like, even though she said she felt like, uh, being trapped like a mouse she was like I hate this feeling I'm gonna do something about it so she like pushes past Wolf and she's just like 
I'm going to make some noise. Like, if you're not coming to me, I'm coming to you. Like, she's so assertive in that way. And like, I probably would not be like that if I was terrified. So I admire people who are. That's a great point. And I love how it's so different than how Cinder would handle it. Like, I think uh, (laughs) Marissa does such a good job, like, making each of these characters their own person. But even though it drives me crazy, it feels, yeah, it's very true to her character of just, Mm -hmm. like, I need something to have, like, I'm ready. I'm just ready. Like, I don't want to wait. I don't want them to surprise me. I just want to make this happen. I'm like, let's get it going. Let's get the ball rolling. (laughs) Yeah, this chapter from a Cinder perspective would be incredibly different, but probably (laughs) just as um not planned out enough (laughs) neither one of them seems to take the time to plan things as well as I think they could but I mean when you're 16 and 18 you get some some leniencies I guess true I'm 30 I can't figure this life stuff out yet so I have no idea what I'm talking about (laughs) so as we said she gets a, a chime that scares her and it's a calm about dad this communication is to inform Scarlett Benoit of Rio France that at 5.09 on the 30th of August, 126, Luc Raoul Finois of Paris was pronounced dead by on-staff medical practitioner. Presumed cause of death was alcohol poisoning. Please respond within 24 hours if you would like an autopsy to be performed for the cost of 45 units. Okay, I have questions about this whole autopsy thing. See, when you guys were talking about research, this was my rabbit hole for 45 minutes. Mm. Brands? has a universal healthcare system <laughs> that started in the early 70s called the CMU. Why in 126 TE do they now all of a sudden have to pay for autopsies and why is it 4500 units? And hmm. why is not why is it not automatic? Do you think it's because of the plague going around and just the danger involved of performing an autopsy on a corpse um Hmm. Maybe it, it, they're worried about because we're living in a world of uh, Corona right you now. Really so are. Like, <laughs> maybe they're trying to protect their medical practitioners without having to like do some invasive procedures on a corpse that may or may not have died of alcohol poisoning. I think that's a good point because I wasn't thinking of that. I was just like, why do they have to pay for this? Because uh, I I saw and this is like in my head at the moment because I saw a few days ago. A video on I follow uh, BBC News app because they're a little less biased in mm-hmm. different ways about American news. They're still biased, but in a different way. <laughs> and they did like a report. Someone walked around the UK a few months back asking questions and they were like, hey, how much do you think it costs to have a baby in America? And they were like, zero dollars. And it was like three thousand. <laughs> how much do you think an inhaler costs? I don't know. Thirty seven hundred and eighty five dollars. Like so. Thinking about this and knowing that France currently, and I know that we have listeners in France, so message me and correct me if I'm wrong. Feel free to at me in a message. I don't mind. But the research I did showed that they have a very nice little universal health care package that covers all of this stuff. So that was my only thing of like, why does it cost money? Yeah, that is a good question. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. We are living in our own sort of plague at the moment so <laughs> i i breathed the grocery store which oh. listeners know i have been hesitant to do because i'm small and got hit with a cart a few weeks ago oh. but i braved it today with my husband and one of his coworkers made me a mask because we can't go on the air force base right now we can't go to certain places on the base without a mask so i had this big mask on it is really creepy walking around a military base 
when everyone is in uniform and has masks on. Mm-hmm, I bet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I walked past some guy who was absolutely terrifying. I'm sorry, but he was a really big guy. Like, bigger than my husband, and my husband is a big guy. And I'm also five feet tall, so, like, everybody's huge. And he had a mask that covered, like, not just his face. It was, like, one of those um, deflection masks. So it goes from the eyes oh. straight down over the neck. And oh. I almost busted up laughing because I was like, wow, he's a really intimidating person. And then I look in his card and there's like Lunchables. And I was like, oh, he's cute. Okay. <laughs> if those aren't for his kid, me and him could be besties. I definitely still buy Lunchables. The funny thing, too, is when I was listening back to Marissa and my episodes about these books and we were talking about how like one of the themes throughout the series has to do with like fear of people who are different than you. Right. And like re- reacting uh, negatively towards that. And we were talking about the situation at the time when we were like, we feel like we're entering a world like this. But we were like, that's ridiculous. Like in four years, you know, it's we're never going to get this way. And now here we are with a plague. It's just getting more and more like this could be real. Mm-hmm. I don't one know. Books. It's insane. I record at least one week ahead of time just in case because you never know what's going to happen. And the episode I did with Paige Turner from Book Lit Podcast was two weeks before everybody started shutting things down. And so we were talking, it was like March 8th, I think. Mm-hmm. So like maybe the day after the toilet paper epidemic thing went on and we were talking like, man, I can't believe how crazy this is. I can't believe how, you know, how everybody's buying toilet paper and things like that. It seems like it's not that severe yet. And then like by the time that episode came out, I was like, oh, no, it's gotten pretty bad. Yeah, it's gotten pretty bad. And like right now, it's it's pretty rough. There's like protests and stuff going on all over the country. Like mm-hmm. I'm, my dad and my bonus mom are both nurses, so I know it's bad in hospitals. My sister's a mathematical engineer for a plumbing company, so she still oh. has to go to work. I work for a local independent bookstore, and we're just doing like online bundle orders now where people can buy like bundles of books. So go check us out on Facebook. We're shipping all over the country, so I don't care where you are, you can buy. <laughs> but I was just like walking around the base today and walking around the grocery store. It was just like, this is like something out of a movie. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel real that there are little kids with dinosaur masks on their face. Oh, no. like, And people, you know, I had hand sanitizer in my pocket and I was really upset, but also duh, that they wouldn't let me bring in my own bags. Um, mm. I have a freezer bag and it keeps it cold, like... That's smart. And you know what's weird is they're not doing any of that in these books. Nope. <laughs> they're yeah. just like, man, I hope I don't get it. Time to go to work. That, like, actually made me angry when Scarlet and Wolf jump off the train after they're like, oh, we have to quarantine the entire train. And they're like, let's get out of here. I was like, no, <laughs> you have to stay on that train and be quarantined for 14 days. Yes. Ma'am. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Especially Scarlett, who would just walk through the whole train, right? At least Wolf stayed in his little cabin. She was all over the train. She was talking to people. She was touching espresso cups milk. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but that's totally true. I think of that a lot, though, when reading these books right now, because they don't seem to be doing anything for the plague other than setting up quarantines and research facilities. And we're practicing social distancing, people wearing masks and gloves. On the other spectrum of it, people are protesting that we're doing social distancing. Like, it's causing a pretty big riff right now. Mm -hmm. And for my vote, we're not political on this podcast. I've made that very clear. It's just too messy. But... I say 
If doctors tell you to stay home, stay home. That's their job. They know what they're talking about. That's just me personally. Like I said, my dad and my bonus mom are both nurses, so I would get a hell of a lecture if I was, like, (laughs) just walking around doing no, just like, I don't want a social distance. Like, I would get in so much trouble. How long has the plague been around in this world, though? Because it's been years, right? Because her... The first case was 12 years ago. Some of what we're doing now is, you know, trying to flatten the curve. It's reacting to it at the beginning. I do think, I don't know, time frame wise, but I can't imagine we would stay like this for 12 years and things would be a different new normal. But I I also agree with, I can't believe there was no, like, (laughs) you'd think there'd be something in between. (laughs) Well, there has to, they burned Sasha's booth, Chang Sasha's booth. But like, Mm. other than that, I don't know. Well, and her um, Cinder's stepdad guy died from it years ago. She was 11, and she's 16 at the beginning of the book. Oh, yeah, your (laughs) listeners will call you on it. I forgot. I don't know something. I'm just like, well, it's something between 1 and 300. I can think of at least least five Instagram listeners that are already, like, screaming into their (laughs) microphone, like, into their headphones right now. I'm guessing Morgan is definitely like, oh, my God, Bethany, how do you not know this right now? I feel so silly because I know it's in here, but I, I want to say it's 12 years ago. I want to mm. say it was 12 years ago. Yeah, I wonder, though, if, like, Scarlet has had much exposure to it. I mean, because her neighboring as, farm had it. No, the whole house true. died. Remember, they put up, like, a, a black oh, pillowcase yeah. on the door. So, I mean, somewhat, yeah. But to be fair, she is in a small t- farm town. I grew up in a very small farm town. Like, you are really cut off from the world. Mm-hmm. I, it might not seem like it even in today's standards, but, like, in in my town, you can go months without even going to a Walmart. Wow. So, I mean, this we have, like, a IGA, which is, like, a grocery store. I Wait, you said you used to live in Chicago? Yes. Okay, so are you familiar with Clinton, Illinois? Mm-hmm. That's where I grew up. So, oh, 6,000 okay. people, farm town. Small, we have, like, yeah. an IGA and a uh, Save-A-Lot, but, I mean, there's no major <laughs> stores for, like, 30 miles. So, unless you need, like, a toaster or something, you don't really have any reason to go to one of those stores. So, there's, I mean, I didn't even have a car until I was, like, 19, because it takes, like, 10 minutes to walk from one end of town to the other. So, I get that she might not have been exposed to it a lot in that town, and it seems like the people that caught it were one farm over, which is... Mm-hmm could be miles away. Yeah, who knows how far away that is, but still. Yeah, I'm not sure she's had a lot of contact with it. That's probably way, way different in an urban environment where people are on top of each other, and yeah. Mm -hmm. 12 years ago, I'm pretty sure. Morgan, Ruth, other listeners, feel free to at me, because I feel like I might be wrong, but I think it was 12 years ago, and the first case started in Africa, and we compared it to AIDS. Because Mm. the first case started in Africa, and it was like this worldwide pandemic. So, yeah, where were we? (laughs) (laughs) Healthcare Um, in France, uh, the autopsy cost extra. (laughs) Daddy died. Right. Okay. So, Daddy died. Raul Benoit died of alcohol poisoning. Mm Mm-hmm. And Scarlett's really upset because the last time they talked, she said that she never wanted to see him again and basically called him a coward. She wants to know why she wasn't calmed when he was admitted. I wonder if he was DOA. Hmm. And so they didn't actually admit him. They were just like evaluating him for cause of death. 
Because if that's the case, they're not going to calm you. They're just going to be like, this is the cause of death. Right. But I also know I've been in an ambulance. It takes a lot longer than you'd think for them to, like, get your information and contact your family. Like, I had a seizure at school once, and I wear, like, a medical ID bracelet and everything. It took them four hours after admitting me, evaluating me, and medicating me to call my mom. Hmm. Like, the nurse who checked me in worked with my dad. Wow. Like, she could have just been like, hey, can somebody call Mike on on the third floor? His daughter's here. But it takes a long time because they have other stuff that they have to worry about. So mm-hmm. I honestly, like, I know if you watch Grey's Anatomy that they're immediately like, does this person have a family? But that's not really how it works in a hospital. Yeah. I don't work in a hospital. I just know what I know from, like, my own experiences and my family. I spent a lot of time in hospitals, too, and I would agree with that. Yeah, they're trying to treat the emergency, usually, or whatever's going on in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. And myself, especially, I want to say thank you to all healthcare workers, especially right now. I know you guys are probably absolutely exhausted. Some of us really do appreciate it. (laughs) But. That's yep. the only reason I can think of that she might not have gotten a phone call is or like a calm is that maybe by the time they were going to go calm her, he was already gone. I still think that was a weird first reaction, given what she like. I mean, yes, she's shocked that her dad's dead, but I would have questioned the alcohol poisoning after what we had just seen from him. And I know um, we'll get there in a minute, but Wolf kind of does question it. But mm-hmm. But why doesn't she question it right off the bat? Yeah, because even though I mean, he seemed a little bit drunk, but. That wasn't the biggest thing going on when she saw him last. (laughs) Well, even when Wolf points out, like, are you sure? Because what does Wolf say? He says, um, he says, are you sure about that? You think they sent the con by mistake? I do think he was in danger of something much worse than a fondness for drinking. She didn't understand he'd been tortured, but the burn marks wouldn't have killed him. The insanity probably wouldn't have killed him. No, but you saw what these guys are capable of. Mm hmm. And you saw how terrified he was when he knew he wasn't going to be able to give them information. There had to have been consequences for that. Otherwise, why would he be so scared, right? And we just saw Ran in the forest saying the mission's been called off or whatever. Yeah. We don't know what that mission was, but if he was up there, I don't know. I just feel like I would have suspected foul play quicker than... Well, I don't know. I mean, she did just get like a pretty big shock. I mean, I think it says that like, she's numb you yeah know? that's it's, true mm-hmm. it's such a huge shock to get such um life-changing news um and so I would I I think it's believable that she needs to like register this horrific fact before immediately like questioning what the calm says or how he died I think that's a good point and I also think that had Wolf not been a part of the conversation if this were just you know her inner dialogue Mm -hmm. she may have gotten to that point you know like if she was just sitting there piecing the clues together and thinking about it she'd be like well he did drink a lot wait that doesn't make sense he's always drank a lot you know like maybe she would have found other reasons to question it but because Wolf is such a skeptical person he automatically was like are you sure that's why he died like think Mm -hmm. about it like he challenges her to look outside of the way she would normally think and it is an easier thing to accept that your dad died, your dad who you knew drank, died from alcohol poisoning than foul play, even with yeah. everything she just saw. Absolutely. In the same way that she wants to accept that her grandma didn't keep secrets and like she knew everything about her, right? She wants, it's easier to accept the simple answer sometimes. We believe what we want to believe, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and we see that a lot with Scarlett in the last few chapters with her grandma where people are telling her, you know, your grandma's fine. You don't need to look for her. She's a grown woman and she's fearful for her life. And then, you know, all these secrets Wolf reveals to, to her about grandma, about being on the moon. And, you know, she was on Luna nine months before your dad was born and you don't know who your grandpa was. And she's genuinely shocked by all this information. So I think part of it is, despite the fact that she's like vastly more mature than Cinder, she's also very naive and somewhat gullible because of that naivety, because her experiences have been somewhat limited to this tiny town. And I don't mm -hmm. say that in like a bad way, but I grew up in a small town. It's very limiting. Yeah. And she has known like love and trust, even if she's finding out that there is more to it than that versus Cinder has never really had anyone on her side. So she's had to be more skeptical of people. <laughs> I think that's yeah. true too. Yeah. And also Cinder doesn't remember the first 11 years of her life. The only life she remembers, Peony is the only one that's kind to her and I go. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's it. That's hard to, that's hard to argue with. So her instincts tell her to look up and we see a willowy lean man with wavy dark hair and near black eyes that burned in the candlelight. He would have been pleasant, but he's not. <laughs> Am I the only one who's like fascinated by the description of his clothing? I like, love the description of his clothing. coats that's like flared at his waist and these long bell-shaped sleeves. It kind of, I mean, it almost looks like something like Captain Hook would wear. <laughs> but like, it looks beautiful. Like there's like gold runes on it. And even Scarlet's yeah, like, it's it. almost like a child's costume. <laughs> and again, she thinks she's walking in on like a street gang and there's this guy in like, yeah, a Old costume. Clothing. Yeah, well, and what's interesting, too, what I want to point out is that, like, we as the reader have had all these interactions with Sybil and Lavana, so we know that this outfit belongs to a thaumaturge. Mm -hmm. How does Scarlet know what the uniform of a lunar thaumaturge is? Supposedly, they don't show up on Earth very often. But they have been there recently, so they've probably been on the news, because Lavana hides her face, but I bet she has her... People. Yeah, we saw we saw in Cinder that Sybil didn't hide her face with a veil when she was on camera. So mm -hmm. I guess that's true. Yeah. OK. Plus, I feel like there is so much fear on Earth of the Lunars. And I would think that that would be sort of one of the images used to instill fear would be this idea of these really strong manipulators of bioelectricity or whatever. They who are believe. beautifully dressed like a scare <laughs> tactic. Yeah, because yeah. like yeah. you wouldn't be scared of someone who kind of looks like you or like a normal person dressed, right? I mean, or you would be less likely to be scared. But but this gives them that label of you know that they have the ability to make you do things, make you see things, make you hear things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a good point. She says this was not the stuff of nightmares and horror stories told to keep children from misbehaving. That caught my attention because we're reading about fairy tale adaptations, and that's mm -hmm. exactly what fairy tales are, stories to keep children from misbehaving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I also love the idea, because fairy tales, when you, especially the non-Disney versions, when you go back and look at them, oh, are yeah. actually the stuff of nightmares and horror stories, like legitimately. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Romanian, and there's an old Romanian folk legend that uh, about a man named Vikram, who is actually the man... Believed to be the man that Snow White's mom trapped in the mirror. Ooh. 
and it was her first lover. But when she decided to marry the king so she could be queen, she didn't want to give him up because she loved him and she didn't love the queen, the king. She just wanted to be queen. So she put him in the mirror so that he could always be so that he would always have to be faithful to her. I would love to read a book about that. Like well, a fairy tale adaptation of that story. Yeah, there's so many fairy tale adaptations of those. Like, and Romanian folklore is the same as other folklore. Like, it'll be kind of similar, but it has its own cultural themes in it, I guess. Uh, because, you know, like the original version of Cinderella, for example, the sisters cut off their feet so that they'll fit in the shoe and they mm-hmm. get their eyes pecked out at the end. Like, bleak. Uh, very bleak. And there's a lot of cannibalism in a lot of these early fairy tales yeah. that we were reading about. Like people getting tricked into eating their like mom or their grandma or their whatever. <laughs> he just, I don't know if you guys heard that, but Scamp just whimpered in his sleep. Oh. So I don't think, I want to Stuff of nightmares indeed. You poor little puppy. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I love fairy tale adaptations. So I've, I've read a lot of them. And I I have Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales and the Grimm's fairy tales and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they are... The original Red Riding Hood, which was French and written in like 1772, I think, is absolutely terrifying. It's bananas. <laughs> it is absolutely terrifying. And it is filled with like, okay, warning, content warning. That's what I'm going to say because it's not, it's like rated R. It's terrifying. I yeah. can't even just thinking about it. I'm like, oh, no. And again, that's what we told kids. Like that, yeah. and we still tell kids, granted, slightly cleaned up versions of these stories. But this is still like common stories we tell children. I mean, Harry Potter starts off with a murder and a baby left on a doorstep in the middle of the night. So it's not like we've gotten too much better. <laughs> like the first part of Harry Potter is let's leave a baby on the doorstep in the middle of the night and hope it's still there when the people wake up. Like, And the, and the people are abusive parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like we haven't gotten too much past it. Fair. Hmm. So... <laughs> nightmares indeed he has a, a pleasant speaking voice which makes it even more creepy and unsettling and I also kind of get the feeling that he's very decorum I think I wrote in my notes that he's Torin but evil because he does the way that he speaks to her is very formal yeah it says his voice was as sweet and smooth as melted caramel yeah so creepy but it's worse when someone evil is trying to be nice to you Right? Like, it's really creepy because you know that they're trying to make you trust them, but you shouldn't. Yeah. It's like this thin veil of it's not real. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Wolf dips his eyes and turned around. Like, I feel like that's intentional. Why is he dipping his eyes? Like, he doesn't want to look at her anymore. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. Is this like a weird acknowledgement of a bow type of gesture? Because we is later see him take his fist to his chest in a form of like salute I guess I think I thought of it kind of you know the eyes are the windows to the soul right so it's hard to know what his true intentions are if we can't see his eyes that's a good point I didn't think of that yeah I like that good point so Alpha Kessley and Beta Wynn this is like their rank and title system but Beta Wynn killed her father so Wolf was right about that and Master Jael says that they're soon going to be a full pack again and addresses him directly. And Scarlet is like hanging on. He's not one of you anymore. He brought me here to find my grandmother. 
all Scarlet. <laughs> but also, why would she yell that out? Like, I get that she's confused, but how does that help anything to say he's about to turn on you? If that's what she thinks is I happening. I think because she really wants it to be true and she's starting to doubt it. I think yeah. so too. And I also think why the f*** didn't they talk about this before <laughs> they went into the building? <laughs> like they had the whole train ride to plan everything. And instead they made out and took a nap and then just like walked from the train station to the building. And then his only prep to her about what was going to happen when they got in the building was, are you ready? <laughs> for what yeah like at least in care of all they I tell you so. don't believe anything you see or hear right so mm-hmm. i don't know oh i love um, Carval. we did love i that. had so much trouble getting through that first book you guys i had so oh, many no. listeners that were like dude seriously finish the book and i was like i'm struggling <laughs> child's response is really freaky to me the man's smile was warm and understanding i see i'm sure you are quite eager to see your grandmother I hope to reunite you shortly. Like, I feel like he's just got a very pleasant voice. Mm-hmm. In a, yeah, I did. I wrote in my notes that this man carries himself with so much decorum, it's almost like he is the evil version of Torin. <laughs> <laughs> so, going to take you back to Granny shortly. And this is where Scarlet, like, gets her fire back. She clenches her fists and says, where is she? And she starts to make a threat, and he interrupts her. She is quite alive, I assure you. Tell me, Alpha, were you able to meet your objectives? Got a pleasant speaking voice. He obviously, he's obviously well-spoken and carries himself with quite a bit of confidence. But everything he's saying is not good. He's like the Ted Bundy of Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Ted Bundy is terrifying. Also, somebody give Zac Efron an an Oscar for that. Yeah, well done. I'm always shocked when actors I love can do stuff like that, like, not to, like, say he's a bad actor or anything, but, like, you just get this image in your head of a person, you know? And Especially if they've been on a TV show or something where you feel like you know them well <laughs> as that character. And Zac Efron is always going to be Troy Bolton to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this part I really like. His obedience is a thin, absurd disguise. So she is questioning his responses and how he's acting. But, again, I feel like they should have had a chat before they walked in there. Well, even just a basic chat about, like, what can I expect when I get in there? Or what is the layout? Like, they're just, there's things they could have asked, even if they didn't talk about, I don't know. Are there going to be candles? <laughs> How many candles will there be? Like, is it a well-lit area? Are there lots of booby traps? Like, because theoretically, this is the hideout of the gang. So are there lots of booby traps? Like, is the place well-guarded? Because it should be. Or if even knowing someone's name. Like, even if she didn't know, but, like, being like, yeah, you'll want to talk to... This guy, in charge. In charge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Where would they keep my grandmother? Is there a dungeon? Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Scarlett's trying to make sense of all this new information, but she just can't figure it out. She can't wrap her head around everything. But obviously, this isn't some vigilante gang hell-bent on change because they wouldn't be in this opera house wearing thaumaturge outfits if they were. So who is this guy and what does it make Wolf? This is where Wolf starts to sound just like Master Jael. I have questioned her to the best of my ability. She has a single vague memory, but I doubt both its usefulness and its reliability. Time and stress seem to have an effect on her recollections. And at this point, I have no doubt she would create falsehoods if she believed they would benefit her grandmother. Totally agree with you, dude. I think she would definitely create all kinds of falsehoods. And we know at this point that it's based 
loosely off of Little Red Riding Hood, right? And in that story, we think the wolf is someone we trust, aka the grandmother, and he turns out not to be. So this, it's sort of what I was expecting for him to like, have tricked us into being a friend and mm-hmm. not be. The original Red Riding Hood, doesn't Wolf feed her, her grandmother? Yep. Like, she literally mm-hmm. eats her grandmother. Yep. And then, like, he has his way with her and eats her, too. So I'm hoping it doesn't get to that point, but it's definitely not... I feel like it's at this peak and we just haven't got there yet, you know? Like, I feel like right up until this chapter, and we don't get to know because the next chapter is Kai... But I feel like right up until this chapter, it's just been, like, leading up to a big climactic moment. We haven't got there yet. And so all this information about Wolf is just, like, more stress to the situation. Because for some reason, Wolf slash Alpha Kesley is not acting the way she wanted him to or the way that she thought he would. Yeah, and she doesn't know at this point, like... Is he lying to the thaumaturge? Is he lying to her? I mean, this is kind of like the moment where he, if he's betraying her, this is it. But we don't get to see further if, if it's true or not. Yeah, and I think it's really hard as a first-time reader to tell because you want to believe that he's not betraying her. But the typical plot of a story would be that he is betraying her and that this mm-hmm. is that plot twist kind of thing. We really don't get to know that in these chapters. We really get to see a very brief moment of who Wolf might actually be. Yeah, he acts like his whole plan was to get her trust. And yeah, he says something else later, too, right? Well, I, guess I am later, sure. But... I am sure her trust was complete. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that's oof. sinister. So Omega Kesley was correct. The mission really was canceled. They're hoping to use Scarlet as leverage to get Grandma Benoit to talk. So Scarlet kind of gets her wish. She'll be able to save her grandmother, sort of. Here's what I was thinking when reading this. Because this book, the vignette or whatever at the beginning says, Oh, grandmother, what terribly big teeth you have. Yeah. And again, we now know they're lunars who have the ability to glamour. We don't actually know if she's really alive or if they're going to, like, glamour someone into to look like her grandma to get her to talk or something like that. Mm. Yeah, they easily could with the the amount of power that they have. And we're led to believe that the thaumaturges are incredibly gifted at using the gift, hence their position of power and authority. And if, if we're correct, this lunar special ops team, I don't know what makes them special ops, but does that mean that they are like the thaumaturge and they have an a, unusual power over this bioelectric gift that the lunars seem to have? I mean, they've already killed her dad, so I wouldn't put it past them if their mission ended to have already killed the grandma and to use glamour to trick her. Yeah, I agree. That's my guess when I was reading. Because what do they need to keep her alive for? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is when Wolf says, if she'd had any additional information, she would have told me. I am sure her trust was complete. That was like my thin veil of hope. So I was like, okay, he's trying to, like, tell them that she doesn't have any information. Maybe that's his way of being like, no, she's not of value. She's not of use. You don't mm-hmm. need her. But she could still be a reason to get Grandma to talk. So it doesn't matter. This is where Scarlet starts to slump. The strain and the stress and the shock is getting to her. And efforts are going to be given to make sure that Alpha Kesley gets his proper recognition. <laughs> Scarlet wants to know who 
Theta Win is and what was his task in Two Laos. But unfortunately, I think part of her already knows that his task was to kill her father in a way that would not raise suspicion. But Jael was going to let him live as a slave. It just turned out he wasn't useful. Yeah. They have little tolerance for useless earthens. Oh, yeah, that was hard. That's really hard. Because, I mean, if you're Scarlet and you hear that come out of their mouth, I mean, that's when I would really start to panic because I would say, like, my dad didn't come out of this. My grandma probably isn't either. And it's looking pretty dire for myself as well. Um, Maybe I should have come up with a plan or maybe I should draw my gun now. (laughs) Some ideas I have. (laughs) Leah and I talked about this in the last chapter because she was trying to tell Wolf, like, you know, just go. Just get my grandma and go and let me deal with all of this. They can't keep me forever. And I was like, who the f*** said they can't keep you forever? Mm. Like, why on earth do you think that you can just walk in, be like, hey, I'm going to take my grandma's spot. Please don't kill me. And then eventually they'll just get tired of you and let you go. Like, as far as we know, this vigilante gang is accomplishing a lot more than just kidnapping a random grandma from Rio, France and taking her to Paris. So it's just more of, I think, Scarlet underestimating the power that this gang has. And I mean, we learn in this chapter that it's not just a gang, but even when it was just a gang, it seemed like they had a lot of power. Like they had lookouts following them all over France. That feels very powerful to me. And again, you're an 18 year old girl. Why would you put yourself into a situation with some violent gang whose motives you don't understand. Right. Well, like where's was, your sense of self-preservation? Well, I think she was desperate to save her grandmother. And I mean, if you think about it, like that was the only family Scarlett had. And without her, I mean, yeah, she's just an 18 year old girl on her own. Um, gosh, I, I mean, I don't, I always ask Katie this. I'm always just like, if you were in this situation, like what would you do? And of course it's impossible to know, but I got to think if like, if you love someone that much and, and they're your only family and, you know, you had this really deep connection to them, like, what wouldn't you do? I just feel like hopefully at least I would do a little bit. I don't think I'd walk in as blind and unprepared as she did. I think I might accident, like I might try to scope the place out and get caught or I might um, fire the gun wrong and shoot myself or I might like I could see other ways that I would totally mess it up, but I just can't imagine walk like I feel like I'd want more of a plan, even if the plan completely fell apart. Or at least to, like, learn a little bit about the gang on your way there. Be like, all right, well, how many people are in this gang? Like, how many people are going to be at headquarters? (laughs) What are they going to be armed with? Is my grandma actually going to be at headquarters? Do they have her hidden in some sort of, like, I was going to say safe house, but that's obviously not the right word. (laughs) But (laughs) because also my thing is, like, I know me and I'm a very, like, self-preservative person. I probably wouldn't be hunting down the gangs myself. I'd be the girl outside, like, handing out flyers and hiring private detectives and things like that. Like, I'm not jumping on a train with a strange man and going to Paris in the middle of the night to look up some vigilantes that kidnapped and tortured my father (laughs) nine hours ago. Yeah, or call the cops to investigate the place or something. I know the cops in her town don't trust her Yeah, she doesn't trust the cops. That's fine. Hire a private investigator. Do what you got to do. I just don't know if I personally would be walking into gang headquarters. I think (laughs) I would be the person like hiring private investigators, handing out flyers, things like that. That's just me personally. Mm. I I don't know what I could handle. 
And having seen what happened to her dad. And again, we don't know her dad well enough to know how like strong or capable he was before. But it, I mean, he had definitely been tortured. He wasn't just kidnapped yeah. and let go. Yeah. All that being said, my mom would walk in there, guns a-blazing, kicking down right? the door. Right, yeah. Like, like, that's, my mom, that's what's coming out of her is a big mouth. She's going to kick the door down. She's going to be screaming, cussing, throwing things. I don't care if she, all she uses are her really sharp fingernails. Like, <laughs> she would walk in there, guns a-blazing, while I'm handing out little flyers in the front of the building. Like, that's, there are people who would do that. I just, I'm not one of them. <laughs> I just want the gun in her hand. Even if it doesn't help, it would make me feel better if she already pulled her gun. (laughs) Yeah, it's useless to have it in her back pocket. So I completely agree. They wanted to silence him because he was the man who knew too much. Somebody besides me seeing that very, very, very old movie. I know the quote. Okay, it's from a movie. It's very old. It's black and white. (laughs) It's really good. He has a kind grin, and he says, you appear to be ill. Maybe she should go rest. Somebody named Roth and somebody named Troya are going to see the lady to her prepared room because they knew you were coming. They were prepared and you were not. That's all I'm saying. Freak me out right there. Yeah. Uh, Mom, that would make me doubt. take you to your prepared room. I'd be like, "Mm, this is when the gun's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And it would make me doubt Wolf because it fits in with this idea that he was bringing you there on purpose. Right. Yeah. Which to a certain extent, we know that the gang was expecting them because they had lookouts following them around, but it definitely goes with that conclusion of like, okay, well she was a mission that Wolf lied to her about. So this is when she finally remembers, Oh, I have a gun and she (laughs) goes to pull it out of her back pocket and Before she can get to it, Wolf takes it, and she has a teeny tiny momentary surge of hope, thinking like, okay, he's going to use the gun to protect her, but instead he hands it to her captors. Mm. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. So we get a lot of egg hatches here. LSOP actually stands for Lunar Special Operatives. Wolf is a lunar, he works for the Queen, and the gang is not a group of vigilantes hell-bent on change but are in fact a secret team of special operatives in the Lunar Militia. I don't know about you guys, but the very first time I read this book, I was like, what the just happened? (laughs) I did not see that plot twist coming at all. But then it's like, oh, of course, now it makes sense that he's never had a tomato because can they grow tomatoes on the moon? Right, yeah. Little things line up. Right. But who still, like, that's a big, uh, uh, what is it? What a twist. Well, and again, we know not only is he lunar, but he's not one of these lunars that escaped the moon. It sounds like he's some military uh, or some uh, government approved military group or something, right? Like, like special Levana knows. Yeah. He and I just, well, and she said that of Jael, didn't she? That he worked for the lunar. What did she say? He worked for the lunar crown. Yeah. And yeah. that's, again, where... Lavana is, she does have a plan. She has lots of plans and lots of pieces <laughs> in place. She yeah, is smart. That, she, say what you will about that girl, but she does not come unprepared. <laughs> so Scarlet finally wants to fight back, but she can't make her feet move. She can't make her legs move. The thaumaturge voice followed behind her, all benevolence. You have my leave to rest until sunset, Alpha Kesley. I can see that your childs have wearied you. Well, indeed, they have. They've wearied somebody. Oh, that was your first chapter. How do you guys feel? I 
I have not like <laughs> I, I I love this exercise because I feel like I haven't close read a text like this in so long. I mean, it's yeah. like it's such a different experience to like go through it sentence by sentence and like really study the words and and how people are reacting. And I really enjoyed it. And it makes you appreciate Marissa as a writer so much mm-hmm. too because she puts so much into like word choice and descriptions and a lot of the little details that again, yeah, you just read quickly and they kind of think, or, you know, they still shape what you're reading, but you don't like stop and think about it. And then you do. And you're like, wow, that was like amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's a big word choice thing. And I talk about that a lot about how her imagery really shines through in her writing, especially when you're reading it at such a slow pace. I came up with two song titles, perfect nightmare by Chantel and False Pretense by the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Are you guys familiar with either one of those songs? I know they're a little, like, low-key. No, I have to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect Nightmare is about a sort of manipulative relationship that you can't seem to walk away from. Hmm. And False Pretense is literally, like, someone lying to you about who they really are and what their intentions are. That's perfect. Yeah, they both seem appropriate. So Patreon members will get to vote on which one of those we choose. Did you guys come up with any song titles? Well, I I did. Okay, you go first, Martha. Oh, I was going to say you go first. (laughs) You go? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I picked Poker Face by Lady Gaga for this one. Um, Because I liked how the entire time, like, Wolf keeps this like perfectly straight face for most of the times. And like he has like these little twitches, like his jaw flexes or like his his fingers twitch or something like that. But like leading up to this chapter and like all through it, he kept such a good poker face and like Scarlet really didn't suspect him until the very end. So and that's what I picked for it. <laughs> that's a good one. So I am, like, terrible at music. Marissa knows that really the only person I know is Taylor Swift, but I know you're also yes! a fan based on one episode. So <laughs> I, I like, Taylor. only know Taylor Swift. I have to try really hard because I can come up with a Taylor Swift song for every single chapter. So I try really <laughs> hard to, like, branch out sometimes. <laughs> so the one I picked was Getaway Car because there's all this stuff about <gasps> switching sides and, like, it's no surprise I turned you in and you know, I didn't mean it and things like that. And so that was what came to my mind. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that song. Should have been a single. So Patreon members will get to vote on which of those four chapter titles we get to choose. I already want to vote for Taylor. Um, (laughs) I, I really can come up with a Taylor Swift one for every chapter. So I try really hard to branch out if I've done more than like three or four chapters in a row. Cause also it seems like Patreon members love Taylor because if I pick a Taylor song, they vote for it. Oh, good. <laughs> so, so I smart. Really... Taylor just covers every emotion and situation. So did you guys pick your favorite quotes from the chapter? All right, Katie, you go first this time. Oh my goodness. I actually picked too many. So let me just pick one now. I think <laughs> okay. it's still, um, this was the stuff of nightmares and horror stories told to keep children from misbehaving. I just, I love that imagery and I feel like it captures everything about how this chapter felt to me. Cause you, you feel like you're walking into a nightmare from the very beginning and like the betrayal and all of that. So that's a good one. I like that a lot. I definitely 
made note of that one when I was taking notes, but I, I found a better one. So, <laughs> Hey, it's not better than mine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 just like a one that I liked better because I know, I'm just no, knowing that I have to pick a quote the entire time I'm reading, I'm like, that's a good one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. So I have to read, like I get done reading the chapter and then I have to go back and be like, all right, well, which one of these did I really like the best? Cause I can only pick one. <laughs> Marissa, what did you pick? So I picked um, the quote when Thaumaturge uh, Jael is talking to Scarlet, and it's right after he says that they have little tolerance for useless earthlings. And he said, and the um, quote is, he grinned, the look twisting Scarlet's gut, not because it was a cruel smile, but because it was a kind one. And I kind of love that because it's like, like we were talking about before, it's almost worse when someone evil is trying to be nice to you because it really feels manipulative and it's it's almost worse if like the cruelty without match the cruelty within and in this case it's like this awful mask instead so that stuck out to me yeah you know if you look if you take a look through history you'll see that most some of the most successful and evil people in the world were extremely charismatic Mm -hmm. and that's what makes them so terrifying so my quote was page 281 If she'd had any additional information, she would have told me. I am sure her trust was complete. I know it seems a little offhand, but it stuck out to me because it's like my only hope that he is still trying to protect her. Mm. He's like trying to tell them like, oh, she doesn't have any information. Believe me, she trusted me 100%. She would have told me like, I feel like that's he's grasping at straws. Like maybe that was his plan all along was like, I'll get her in there and I'll make it clear like. She doesn't have any information and then I can just get her out of there. And, you know, if grandma's dead, oh, well, but I saved Scarlett. And I feel like that's the only clue that we get as to whether or not he may actually still be trying to help her. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it definitely seems like he switched sides. Yep. Or he's just telling the truth and he was tricking her the whole time. And that's proof that he was by trying to get her to trust him 100%. Like, I love that I it could know. be either way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's so heartbreaking. Okay, so chapter 28, we're not with Scarlet and Wolf anymore. Now we're with Kai. We haven't had Kai's point of view since, like, chapter 9. Like, it's been a while. And I love Kai. I know you do. I am, like, such a fangirl for Kai. I really am. I just have, like, I have so much sympathy for him. So do you like my name choice, then? Prince Kai? Yes, so much. Oh, my gosh. I have Absolutely. to explain to some people sometimes that that's a play on words for Prince Kai Fan Club. We're the fan pod. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes people don't get that. And I was like, man, I thought it was like a really good play on words. <laughs> it, it is. So the last time we saw Kai, he was very reluctantly sending out troops and hoping that they wouldn't find Cinder. But from Cinder's perspective, we saw his press conference. With my favorite quote in the world, I don't see how her being cyborg is relevant. Next mm-hmm. question. Fantastic. Tell him, Kai. So Kai is pacing in his office. He hasn't slept in 48 hours. So it's been, uh, this is a theme of the podcast that I'm obsessed with knowing how many days it's been. That means that it's been about two days since the ball happened and about two weeks since Kai and Cinder met at the market, which is effing insane to me. That it's only been two weeks since Cinder started. And how long has it been since his dad passed away? Nine days, eight days. Ugh. Not very long. Yeah. So he's got a lot going on. 
he has a lot going on. Poor guy. So he has to find the cyborg or Lavana's going to start war because she throws temper tantrums a lot. Okay, so he hasn't slept in two days. I don't know if you guys know this. I feel like everybody knows this, but sleep deprivation is actually a form of torture mm-hmm. because it can be so incredibly detrimental. I don't know about you guys, but I don't I think the longest I've ever gone without sleeping is two days. I think other than that, I've fallen asleep. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've 24 hours. I don't sleep a lot, but I sleep often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. sounds weird, but I don't think I've gone anywhere near forty more than 48 hours without some, at least a nap. I've definitely, that. like, reached a point of exhaustion where um, I've been, like, talking with a friend. And, and at one point, we were just both talking nonsense to each other. Like, we were just talking gibberish. I, like, feel like I didn't sleep in college and I also didn't drink. And people always <laughs> thought I was drunk because I was just, like, sleep-deprived and crazy. Yeah. I know that the longest I ever went out with the sleeping was, I think, 50 hours. Oh, I had – so my husband's in the military, and he went straight from a deployment to um, a temporary duty station in South Carolina. And we hadn't seen each other in, like, six months-ish, oh. somewhere around there. So we decided we were going to fly me to South Carolina to see him, and it was, like – May or June, so it should have been good time for travel. We were in Nebraska at the time, so I had a layover at O'Hare, and the layover was supposed to be like an hour. I ended up being stuck in Chicago for 18 hours, mm. which is really depressing knowing that it's like two and a half hours from my parents' house. I didn't sleep that whole time. I was terrified that if I fell asleep, someone was going to steal something from me or hurt me or kidnap me or something because I'm paranoid and I've seen way too many episodes of Law and & Order and Veronica Mars. <laughs> so I just didn't sleep that whole time. And then we finally got, I finally got to South Carolina. I hadn't eaten. <laughs> so, oh, I would be such a grouch. I would be yeah. a hell of a human being. I'm like yeah, 20 I, minutes without eating this bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like a grouch. I, I get really... I'm probably more annoying than a grouch because I will get emotional to the extent of like crying. Mm. So by the time I think he took me to a waffle house or something, because I was just like, if I don't eat something, this was also, we'd only been married for like a year. So we didn't realize that like the USO is really great about taking care of you if you get trapped in an airport. So I was just trapped in an airport. I had like $5 because I didn't know I was going to be stuck at the airport. And I didn't use my credit card because I didn't, it's one of those things, like, I always had it in my head that I couldn't use my credit card unless it was an emergency. Mm. And for some reason, I didn't think that was an emergency at 23. I don't know why, because it's definitely an emergency. But anyways, by the time we finally got to the hotel, because he had to leave work to come pick me up, because the scheduled time for him to pick me up was no longer valid. By the time we finally got to the hotel, I'd been up for, like, 51 hours. And I, like, literally cried myself to sleep because mm. I was so incredibly exhausted. I was like, I literally just spent two days traveling to see you and I'm basically getting a hug, some waffles and you're going to work and I'm just going to sleep in this hotel because I can't handle anything. I can't imagine doing all of that while literally the weight of the world, like the entire (laughs) weight of the world is on his shoulders. Like I would be so upset right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's handling it pretty well. Uh, definitely better than me. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I would have a lack of eating on top of everything. I'd probably be stress eating, if anything. Like, I'd be gaining weight. 
<laughs> but apparently he can't even drink tea. Like, yeah, Nancy wouldn't be able to keep up with me. <laughs> I just want to give him some Z-Quil and a hug and then, like, tuck him in and read him a story. Yeah. Maybe Dr. Seuss, you know, not fairy tales that are going to give him a nightmare. We'll read, like, Dr. Seuss or something. <laughs> or Llama Llama. I don't know. Good Night Moon. Something to just calm him down a little bit. Poor Kai. So in this time, he's done five press conferences. We only saw the most recent one. Cinder and Dr. Erlon seem to have vanished off the face of the earth. And he does the signature Kai move of scraping his hands through his hair and pulling it in fists above his head. Oh, my God. Poor Kai. I really do just want to give him a hug. This is, I can't even imagine the amount of strength. Because he's 18. Oh, I my know. God. He's so young. Oh, Poor guy. I'm trying to think of what I was doing at 18. Nothing like Not that. Not this. <laughs> no, I've never done anything like that. Oh, God. I I don't know. Working? and it, Oh, I was moving into my second apartment when I was 18. I left my first apartment when I was 18 when my lease was finally up. And yeah, that's finally, stressful. Moving is stressful. It's not nearly as stressful as literally the entire weight on your shoulders. <laughs> but it was also the first time I'd ever had a lease that I had to sign. So that was stressful. Reading a lease is very intimidating. So it's like, wait, if I do any of these things, they're going to kick me out. <laughs> it's like none of those things are ever going to happen. And they don't enforce them either. But they're just it's like side effects that they put on a Tylenol bottle. It's just in case, but it probably won't happen. <laughs> And Kai's also, like, navigating, I don't know if it's his first crush, but it's definitely, like, a significant crush that he had on Cinder, whether or not he's, like, fully admitting it to himself, but there's definitely, like, an infatuation there. And, I mean, add that on top of everything else that's going on, and... Yeah. And everyone's watching him. So not only is he dealing with all of these things, but he's, like, constantly on TV. People are making assumptions and saying, like, he's, he's in the spotlight. I mean, no, it's no wonder that he was so aggravated by the cyborg question when there's all this real shit going on. Right. And some vapid, shallow reporter has the nerve to be like, wasn't she a cyborg? Like, it's no wonder that he was like, are you kidding? The whole planet might blow up because Lunars are pissed off and Lavana is a tyrant. And you're asking me if my ex-girlfriend was a cyborg? Next question. Well, also, if you're going to talk about Cinder, <laughs> it's almost like you find out a serial killer or something and you're like, but were they a Sagittarius? Or like, it's almost like <laughs> I don't know. Like she's a lunar who, and like, I mean, we know that she's not as bad as she seems because we've seen her side of things. But I feel like from his perspective, the fact that she's cyborg maybe would have been a bigger deal if all this other stuff hadn't happened, but it isn't at all because there's all these bigger things, even with her. Yeah. <laughs> That might have been my favorite quote from the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a perfect comparison to, like, how little we give a shit about the fact that she's cyborg. Mm -hmm. Like, it does not matter that she's cyborg. And it's, it's something, I think it's important to acknowledge it. Because it is something that, you know, journal, and not to, like, snap back at journalists or anything. But it is something that people tend to focus on is the vapid and shallow things, myself included. I like pretty shiny things. So, like, I get it, but the stakes are so high. It kind of, I hate to, like, draw a parallel, and I hope I don't offend anybody because I really don't mean to. But it reminds me of all these protests going on where people are dying and other people are like, I want to get a haircut. Yeah. I understand how important your haircut is. Believe me, I'd love to trim my hair, 
I have curly hair. You're supposed to get it cut all the damn time. But I feel like there's just bigger issues going on than getting a haircut right now. Absolutely. Well, the funny thing is, from even from Kai's perspective, the fact that she's a cyborg doesn't matter. But the fact that she lied about it is probably a little bit irritating or it, but, like, he's not going to tell the reporter that, right? Well, like, also, like, why is the fact that she's cyborg worse than the fact that she's a lunar? I feel like that should be the big deal. But I also wonder, I think people do that in emergent or almost when things are too big and they can't handle it. It's like they want to focus on, like, they understand cyborg prejudice. So, like, if they can focus on that and, like, put her in a box of, like, oh, yeah. she's, you know, versus, and- like, the idea that she was a lunar and came to Earth when they thought they were safe from lunars on Earth and infiltrated yeah. the... Like, that's almost too scary to handle, maybe, or something. Because they are going to encounter other cyborgs, and for some reason, Earthens have this crazy notion that lunars don't exist on Earth. <laughs> so that that makes sense. They're, they're going to encounter other cyborgs. They want to know what they have to worry about. I still don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, it's still terribly, like... Yeah, there's a lot of issues. Ask the important <laughs> questions. <laughs> Nancy, I wonder if she has any maternal programming. Because she's kind of maternal the way Kai describes her. She brings him tea. She reminds him to eat. She checks to see if he's been sleeping. Or she brings him, like, random snacks if she doesn't think he's been eating enough. The only other android we really know, unless I'm forgetting. It's Aiko. Yeah, and we know that her personality is a defect, right? So it's sort of like, is this what every other android is like? Because she still does seem to have, like, some humanistic... Yeah, we talked about this in the very first episode, Becca, and I wondered, is this supposed to replicate, you know, artificial intelligence? Or is it supposed to be... There's a word for it, and I'm really sorry that I'm forgetting, especially because I'm a librarian, where you attach human characteristics and traits to inanimate objects... Um, oh, like personification stuff? or Yeah, there's whatever. a word for it, and it just fell out of my Andro, head. Anthropo something? The word <laughs> you're thinking of is anthropomorpha. What? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Anthropomorphize. Anthropomorphize. Anthropomorphize? I feel that's really good. dumb right now. <laughs> I think maybe I should get a refund on my bachelor's degree. <laughs> I think I'm thinking of... Um, Chromomorphism, which is more specific to like an objectification process. But either way, it's that concept. Is it artificial intelligence or are they trying to make them more humanistic? And I I think because I love Isaac Asimov so much, mm-hmm. I always have that kind of image in my head when I think about androids. But I, I don't know if every, I mean, you said you like sci-fi, so I assume you know who Isaac Asimov yeah. is, right? Yeah. <laughs> I assume you know the father of science fiction. But <laughs> I, I often wonder people who aren't familiar with him, like, what do they picture when they think of an android? Because, like, I know Becca, my former co-host, always pictured, like, a C-3PO type thing, which I mm-hmm. never pictured. Because that's, I mean, that's just not Isaac Asimov. And like I said, that's where my brain goes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also, like, with Nancy is... um you know that she was Kai's personal android when he was a child, right? He yes. was almost, she was almost like his nanny. And so I think, um, you know, whether or not she was, she was programmed to be maternal or, you know, was, was programmed in a certain way, I think if you're a child and you're, you're a darling child like Kai, I, I imagine he was, I think, <laughs> um, you know, he 
probably latched on to her as a maternal figure or some kind of caregiving figure. And I feel like his perception of, of her in that way has carried through to his adult life as well. So I, what is it called when computer programs can absorb your mannerisms and act accordingly? Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Creepy, yes. But I wonder, <laughs> but based on that, I wonder if that's also what happened, if the relationship that Kai had with Nancy developed further into this maternal prospect because when she was updating, she recognized those preferences in him and um, evolved. Adjust- yes, evolved. Thank you. Yeah. There's a word for it, and I can't think of what it is. I know, I'm trying to, like... But they, like, pick up on <laughs> patterns, right? And yeah, they incorporate yeah. that, that data into their, um, like, I'm into married. their hardwire almost to, like... I'm married to a computer programmer. Give me 45 seconds. I'm going to get this information. Hold on. <laughs> Apparently, IT doesn't make stuff cool. It's literally called machine learning. Oh, Okay. I was like, that doesn't seem cool enough. And he was like, because IT has better things to do than worry about fun words, mm. which just makes me wish they hired a librarian because I feel like there's got to be a better word for that. Machine learning. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess that's what she's doing. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder if that's the case. So I thought it was interesting that Nancy is like his major support system right now, considering the fact that he only has Nancy is because Sandra was able to fix her in the first place. Yeah. It's like this constant reminder that Cinder is there, like this constant shadow of her. And he says that Nancy almost feels human to him, much in the way that Aiko feels human to me. I constantly, especially later on in the series, I constantly forget that Aiko is not a human being. Mm -hmm. She's my second favorite character after Thorne. I mean, isn't that the whole point of, well, maybe not the point, but like, Artificial intelligence is good when you, like, forget it's artificial intelligence. Yeah. And I think that's why it bothers me that she has a defect. Like, I just want that to be... How they all are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I want an Android that's going to be really excited about going to Taylor Swift concerts, so... Absolutely. Yeah, and is more than happy to watch High School Musical with me for no reason, (laughs) even though I'm 30 years old. Like, that's... I That's the kind of Android I would want. So, I get it. (laughs) she's a great girlfriend to have she would be such a good girlfriend Mm -hmm. she could help me pick out so many good clothes she would do my makeup for me I know she has such good taste she can straighten my hair she probably (laughs) loves straightening my hair I hate it takes so long I don't know (laughs) if you guys can see it but I actually have pretty curly hair and it's curly and straightening it is an absolute nightmare even though I I recently cut off like 20 inches and it's still like crazy difficult to straighten so I just don't do it (laughs) but like you know how some girls love to like my sister Lindsay loves to straighten my hair she like something about my curls going from curl to straight is like very therapeutic to her hey Lindsay because I know you're listening um (laughs) so like I feel like Aiko would be that person. She would love to do your hair. She would love to do your makeup. Let's get let's get dressed up for no reason. Like that's totally Aiko. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wants friend. to do those make makeover montages like once a week. <laughs> <laughs> she would definitely have her own YouTube channel of like makeup <laughs> tips and things like that. She'd be a great influencer. I would follow her for sure. I would totally follow her. <laughs> so Kai starts to wonder if he's delirious. And yes. <laughs> 
But he has visitors. Oh. Audrey and Pearl want to have a little chat, and they are refusing to speak to anyone else. I don't know about you, but I can't just walk up to the White House and be like, I demand to talk to President Trump, and I will talk to no one else. They're going to be like, okay, bye. They're not going (laughs) to be like, sure, let's set up a meeting right now with the emperor. I can't even do that, like, in a store. I Before I get the manager, I have to talk to the cashier or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. You can't even just go straight to the top anywhere. Like, it reminded me of how Cinder was, like, didn't want to tell them that she knew Kai because she thought they would take advantage of the situation. And they are. Yeah. So he tries to button back up his shirt so he can look, like, somewhat presentable, but gives up quickly when he realizes that the wrinkles aren't coming out of his shirt. <laughs> And then it hits him because he hadn't slept in two days. Lynn. Their last name is Lynn. They are the relatives of Cinder. So he can't he can't escape Cinder at all. And he remembers how Audrey acted at the ball. Not very nice. Not very nice indeed. <laughs> she was the legal guardian of Cinder. She's not now. She's such a snake in this chapter. This is where I always, though, I think I... If someone's being, like, too nice, I'm like, they have bad motives. And if someone's being too evil, I'm like, there's probably a rosy other side that we don't know. <laughs> there's a backstory. I, and I, yeah. I like, want to know more of her backstory. Because to some extent, I think she does love and care for her true daughters. And she's had a hard life. And I don't think that justifies how she acts to Cinder by any means. But I, I do feel like there's more to her than we get to see here. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of... Um, I played, I tried to play devil's advocate when I was in my notes because I kept getting mm. mad and then I was like, reel it back in. Why is she acting like this? Because she comes in and she says she has information about the ball. And so, for example, Kai dismisses Nancy and he makes a point to sit across from but not next to either one of the ladies. And they perched so as not to wrinkle their clothing. And at first I was like, Oh, of course they did, because they're trying to be prim and proper. But then it occurred to me, like, no, they just lost their only source of income. And this Mm -hmm. might be, like, the only valuable thing they have left. So maybe they're just trying to conserve it. And then I thought of the movie Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore, where they, like, bought really nice clothes and then just didn't cut the tags off. Mm. And then after they wore the clothes, they returned them to the store. Mm -hmm. So they basically had an always changing wardrobe without spending any money. The funny thing to me in this was how I feel like Kai's completely exhausted, right? We've already talked about that. And it reminds me of when he was talking to Lavana, and the only way he could think to be disrespectful was to sit down while talking to her. And it's just like the fact that he was raised as like a diplomat, his like way of being snarky is like choosing his seat in an offensive way. And it's it's just like funny to me that like he like just because he's been raised, he's like, this is where I should be sitting or this is when I should sit down or stand up. And he's like, no. (laughs) That's interesting because a lot of people have their own ways of like clapping back at someone right so she's there to throw cinder under the bus he says that they strongly resemble each other pearl and i think we talked a lot about this in cinder because peony seemed so different but pearl idolizes her mother so much that i think even her mannerisms are adopted off of the way that her her mother moves and interacts with people yeah i wonder how much of that is like oldest child thing too Mm. like I feel like an oldest child trait tends to be like making authority like doing what authority wants like making your parents like I mean 
not a hundred percent, but you're less likely to rebel. I think you want to like fit into the rules and uh, I can't remember any of the words that I'm trying to think of right now, but part of me wonders if it's an oldest child thing to like try to make her mom happy and proud by doing what she expects you to do. Or mimicking her. Yeah. Yeah. And part of me also wonders, it's very obvious, especially in Cinder, that Audrey has instilled in them the expectation of like, you know, getting married and things like that. And so I wonder if her mimicking Audrey has always been a way to get her approval so that so that that'll be I don't know, somewhat imminent when she does get married. So, you know, like, mom wants me to get married. And according to mom, this is how I get married. So that I have to behave the way that she tells me to, or I won't get married. And if I don't get married, I'll starve to death. So this is like, how she feels like she has to behave. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, there's some parts of it where she's just a vicious, vindictive person. But there's definitely a level of nature versus nurture here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of I'd say there's also there's a lot of learned behavior, I think, that's going on between Pearl and Audrey, because, I mean, she grew up seeing her mother being very wary of Cinder and not Mm -hmm. treating her very well. And I think that um, I think when you're a young child, if you see that your mother is fearful of something or doesn't trust something, I think it's instinctual to kind of copy that fear. You know, that's how like young animals learn to avoid certain types of predators, you know, like they watch their mother and they, mm-hmm. they know their, their fear um, and how they react to it. And so I think she probably picked up on that very misplaced um, fear and prejudice that she had against, against Cinder. She probably heard growing up too, that it's Cinder's fault. Her dad was dead, whether or not she mm-hmm. thought enough to like challenge that or question that it's still probably something that like was in the back of her brain for a long time. And that it's going to mess you up. That's a great point to make, because if that's how she's constantly feeling, and then now on top of that, Peony is also dead. Mm-hmm. But that's why I loved Peony, because I think what a great yeah. example of like another child who opened her heart and opened her mind to this other child and, you know, didn't really share in her mother's prejudice. I think it's just really interesting how one sister was so different from the other. Well, and this is just weird for me to say because I'm an oldest child and I don't think I'd be anything like Pearl. But I also think that's almost the youngest child thing, though, to like rebel more or try to stand Mm -hmm. out or be different. And that's where I don't think it like excuses it at all or 100 percent explains anything. But I do think there's some degree of uh, birth order at play here Mm. for the two sisters. Yeah. And I I have to I'm not the oldest. The oldest is Ivy and she is a rebellious little thing. Um, (laughs) Always, always has been. Even now she's rebellious. I am exactly what you picture when you think of someone who's in their 20s and dreams of being nothing more than a children's librarian. I got in trouble because they would take away my library card. I got grounded because I stayed up past my bedtime reading the third Harry Potter book when it came out. Like, I got in trouble for stupid stuff that I should still get in trouble for. Like if it's two in the morning and my parents told me to go to sleep, I should go to sleep. But that's not the point. But like my sister, Lindsay, poor Lindsay, I'm throwing her under the bus this episode. I know she's listening, but like she did all kinds of (laughs) and I'm not even going to say most of it just in case for some reason my parents decide to ever listen to this podcast. (laughs) And I know she's in her 20s now, but like I still I'm not going to wrap my girl out, but I have to somewhat agree that like the younger siblings sometimes I don't want to say that they get away with more, but like parents are less they do strict on them. You know, like the, the, what did they say? Like the oldest kids are the guinea pigs, right? 
Yeah, I think it's so funny. My younger, youngest sister is six years younger than me. And in some ways, she's one of the few people who knows what growing up in my house is like. And in other ways, I'm like, you grew up in a completely different house because six exactly. years later. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like, I was like a straight A student. And there was like, yeah. if I got a bad grade, it would be like, what happened versus if my sisters had struck? I don't know. Yeah, like, you know, no, I, I completely like, agree. I have, and I was like, I got A's all the time. I didn't get a brownie every time or whatever. <laughs> See, I got really lucky. My parents never cared about grades as long as we weren't failing and we didn't have any notes. Like if I had a C and it said talk too much in class, I'd get in trouble because I obviously wasn't trying my best. But if I had a C and there wasn't any like complaints about me, I just had a C. It was never a big deal. But I, I definitely get what you're saying because I and I think my sister Lindsay would agree because she's, you know, she and I are the middle sisters, there's four of us. And I feel like that makes this huge dynamic, right? But I think Lindsay would agree with me that sometimes it feels like Ivy, the oldest and Samantha, the youngest, you get like mm-hmm. a different evaluation than we do. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like, for some reason, we just got skipped around, I guess. I don't know. That's funny that we all have sisters, though, because I have a older <laughs> sister, too, but she's only older than me by like 14 months. So we were like pretty much raised in tandem but um yeah and I always talk like we love any book that has like a sister relationship yes. we can both relate to it so much yeah um like we just finished three dark crowns um that is like three triplet sisters and how they kind of interact and uh we had a lot to say about it <laughs> well imagine having pearl as your sister oh my god pearl is my sister I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if we'll ever get to see like pearl kind of have that moment where she starts to question her mother's prejudice that she has now adopted as her own and see, you know, maybe does she kind of break away from that and start to form her own thoughts instead of being a garbage human right now. And that's always what I hope for, for the bad people. And like, even Lavana, like what I want is her to like redeem herself by the end somehow, even though it's like practically impossible. And like, it's hard. It's, it's hard to like, um, sympathize with Pearl and her mother but at the same time like at this scene like they did just lose Peony like Peony their reputation their only source of financial income right and so it's like they are kind of in the middle of grieving um and I also feel like part of Audrey is going to be extremely stressed out from now on because she still has to try to find Pearl a husband mm-hmm. and their reputation has been tarnished now by yeah. Cinder. I do feel like there's a need to play that devil's advocate because they are going, they're not great people, but they do have their own trials and tribulations that they have to go through. And if we can try to put ourselves in their perspective, even if we don't agree with it, mm-hmm. maybe we can try to get to the bottom of like the motivations for some of their actions. Yep. I want to talk about Kai's description of Cinder because in the book Cinder, we only got one sentence that described what she looked like and that's it. Oh. And so this is a far more developed Detailed. description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to read that. The resemblance between the two was remarkable. And of course, nothing at all like Cinder, whose skin had been always sun darkened, whose hair was straighter and finer, and who had carried an understated confidence with her even when she was shy and stammering. And that's on page 287. I like this part of Kai where he, and he even, and he even says that like he had to stop himself from smiling at the memory of her. I feel so bad for Kai, you guys. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And just, 
the poor he really does just need like a hug and a nap maybe just like just like two weeks off (laughs) yeah yeah maybe just like two hours off yeah take a little power nap like he didn't get any bereavement time after his father died I know and like I if Katie knows this but I'm like obsessed with the royal family like the British royal family and just like in general and um just like the one thing that I always get so stuck on and it happens so often in YA books is that like if there's ever a prince who assumes a throne I just get so like fixated on that moment where you are now becoming a king so you are not only like coming into your birthright something that you've been like preparing to do your entire life um, you're assuming control over an entire kingdom and people are looking at you like wondering if you'll be weak, like wondering if you can handle it. And you're also going through this immensely personal loss, like your father has died. And this is the reason that you're now the king. And just that whole dynamic, I find fascinating and tragic and sad. And um, like, I, I do not... Um, like, I sympathize so much with Kai going through this. I don't envy him at all. Well, and I think we talked about this on our podcast, Marissa, but this idea that his father is the only person who's ever had this role besides him. So not only is it his, like, family and someone he misses from a personal level, but even from a professional level, he, like, has no one else who really understands what he's going through, right? Yeah, who do you ask for advice? This is part of why I think Torin is one of my favorite characters, Mm -hmm. because... Kai so badly needs Torin. Torin is the definition of decorum, professional, diplomacy, all of that. Mm-hmm. And definitely times when he annoys the shit out of me, but Torin is always there to kind of pull Kai back and to remind him what's going on. Like I mentioned in the episodes after Kai's father died, when Torin was like, all right, well, I'll set up a press conference. And Kai was like, what? and we'll get the coronation started he just died like yeah it is horrible and it is tragic that you have to deal with it but the country can't not have a leader so somebody does have to be on top of that stuff and like it's essential that he has someone like Torin because to get him through it yeah and at 18 like he doesn't know what he's doing I don't care how much time he's had to prepare he's still sassing off at press conferences and mouthing off to the predator like he doesn't have it all together yet right and i feel like Torin is his safety net maybe his beacon i don't know like He's that's like just... his anchor maybe yeah know? yeah anchor is a good word for it i think and if i were lavana i would get to kai by hurting Torin. yep the first yeah. thing you do is take out the take out the second in command right Mm-hmm. Or I would have, I would brainwash Torin to kill Kai <laughs> and then hang Torin, like have him do it publicly and then accuse him of it and then take over the country or the world. The world. She needs you as her, as her secretary, Katie. <laughs> I'm just about to say there's like an alternate universe somewhere where Katie wrote this series and Lovato won. <laughs> I love it when the bad guy turns out to be good, right? So maybe in my version, she's the hero. <laughs> Um, well, in her version, she's the hero. True. <laughs> um, so Kai stops himself at this memory of Cinder and introduces himself. And Audrey says to call her by her first name because she's attempting to distance herself from the word from the ward who carries her husband's name. Ouch. Like, I know that the ward thing is bad, but like, I 
I don't know. I'm very protective of my husband's name. I like my husband's name. I don't want to relinquish it for any reason. That's stupid, I know. But, like, I don't want to tarnish my husband's name and his memory. Yeah. I don't know. That really bothered me. (laughs) Maybe I've been married too long. Well, (laughs) and it's even weird to call it Carrie's my husband's name because, to your point, it's been her name for however long at this point. Why doesn't she just associate it with herself? Right, yeah. Or, like, my family's name. Or, I don't, like, it seems weird to call out her husband. Yeah, and I actually, I have to agree because I've actually only been married for seven years. And last summer, I went back to my old high school for something and legit could not remember my maiden name. What? I had like a good 10 seconds when I walked in and asked for something and she was like, sure, I'll check the computer. What's your name? And I told her my name and she's like, I don't have a record of that. And I was like, what? I went to school here my whole life. What are you talking about? And it took me way too long. I'm dead serious. Way too long to connect that that wasn't my name when I was 18 years old. And honestly, if the principal hadn't remembered me and walked into the room and been like, hey, Bethany Heath, how, what are you doing here? I It might have taken me even longer. <laughs> and it's only been my name for seven years. It's been hers for like, what, 20 at this point? Yeah, it's hers at this point. Like, it's funny to think about because I'm still in my first year of marriage. So I'm like struggling. I keep like introducing myself the wrong way or like, <laughs> like I'm still not used to it being my name yet. Yeah, it's difficult. Perhaps because we're military and everybody addresses you by your last name, it's easier for me, I guess, to pick up on that association. And I also got married, like, we. I was only 23 when we got married. So I went straight from, like, high school where everybody only refers to you by your first name. I'm a Katie, so I always had my last name as part of it because there were too many Katie's yeah, in that's all my class. Yeah, that's a good point. There's not a lot of Bethany's running around. I wouldn't want to give up my husband's last name that easily. That's all I'll say. I don't want this to turn into like a patriarchy thing. I just, I like my husband's last name. (laughs) Do you think it's interesting that, that Audrey, like now that I'm reading this closer, I think it's interesting that Audrey says, like, I'm attempting to distance myself from my ward who carries my husband's name. And, of course, she'll remember my lovely daughter. Like, I think it's interesting that she says husband and then introduces her daughter to the king. You know, I think it's kind of like she's really, like, trying to, you know, sell off poor Pearl. Um, no, and that's make her a good point. Princess, she's trying- but, yeah, she purposely, like, corresponds introducing her daughter with, with uh, mentioning the word husband. So I, I wonder if that's intentional. No, that's great. I definitely didn't think of that, but that's like the perfect word association manipulation that you would expect because, I mean, it's like you said, you hear the word husband and then you meet Pearl. So now Mm -hmm. the introduction of Pearl will be synonymous with the word husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good point. Y'all are so smart. (laughs) (laughs) So Kai reminds Pearl that they met before. Because he reminds her about how they met at the market. Because he wants to shame her. Mm-hmm. As he should. And she says, yeah, well, my real sister died of the plague. This makes me so sad. My condolences on your loss. He waited for the expected return of sympathy, but it did not come. Of course it didn't come. That's not why they're there. Yeah, they're, they're very caught up in their own view of the world. Okay, this is what I was going to say. Yeah, go ahead. Do you think that, I know that they have negative feelings towards Sunder anyways, but do you think that they also assume that Kai, because of like what he's been doing on 
he's hunting her down and all this stuff. Do you think they are playing it up even more to try and like, do, do you think they think as a leader, they need to distance themselves from Cinder even more? Or do you think they're like trying to drill it in because they think that's what he wants to hear? Oh, so that like they're they not like for their safety. Yeah. So that they're not like, like it's not just that they're like, obsessed with being different from her or, you know, distancing themselves from they her. Just but don't they don't want to be like, they don't want to be culturious in it. Yeah. And part of that, I think, is correct, especially because we know this, the stereotypes against cyborgs that are in this society. I mean, we just saw even more proof of it with the press conference. So I think part of that is definitely the case mm. because they also seem to have an expectation that that's how he'd react. Cinder herself, even getting to know Kai on a personal level, still thought that he would be absolutely disgusted when he found out she was cyborg. So that's a really good point to make. She doesn't want Kai to think that she's also, or that she was intentionally harboring yeah, a complicit, a lunar. Yeah. Cause like, she's, she's going to be executed. Like think how that yeah. feels. Like she, this was a, a girl who lived in her house for however many years. And now she's being executed for like treason. <laughs> I mean, well, think about think about how that would be. Let's say that you have a family member that you already don't like, and then they get arrested for treason, and then you have to go to the cops and talk to the cops. Mm-hmm. Are you going to walk in there and be like, "Yeah, we're besties. Let me tell you all these nice things," or are you going to be like, "All right, just keep my head down, say as little as possible"? Yeah, from a self-preservation standpoint. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point to bring up. Good, good devil's advocate there. <laughs> Well, it's also interesting because they mentioned that she's cyborg, I think, multiple times throughout this conversation. But do they ever address the fact that she's lunar and they didn't know? Nope. Just the cyborg thing that comes up. Like, same with the press conference. The lunar thing is, like, so far. Maybe the lunar aspect of it is so terrifying that they they kind of don't even want to discuss it because of how overwhelming it is. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, a comparison we might have. Like, everyone right now is freaking out about the spread of the virus, the economy, and how it's, and and the effect of the virus and social distancing is going to have on it. And we focus a lot on talking about the economy and the social distancing. And maybe that's because talking about what's going to happen after that and how bad the virus is going to get and whether or not we can find a cure or a vaccine is too difficult. Because if you pay attention to the news, not a lot of people are talking about what's going to happen in a year. We're still trying to focus on what's going to happen in the next month. Like, it's easier Mm -hmm. to focus on what you know. Yep. Yep. Okay. This is one other (laughs) thing I want to say about cyborgs, though. Yes. This confused me even when we were reading it, Marissa, but I think... I, like, don't get what, because they were, cyborgs were originally human, and then, at least from, in Cinder's case, like, something terrible happened to her, and this, like, helped save her life is the impression you're given, right? So, I can't, like, are all these humans, if they, like, went through a terrible accident, would they be like, oh, no, I don't want any cyborg parts, I'd rather be, like, have no foot? I don't know. I don't know, because we know in Cinder that the 6% guy willingly spent his life savings on a foot, knowing that it might condemn him to the plague research. Like, again, it feels like in our society, it would be almost like a if you had money, you could get cyborg parts or like they'd be like desirable. They, they'd make you yeah. different, but like a pro and where, versus in this society, it's like seen as such a negative. No, that's a good point, because like, especially the more advanced the technology, the more elite it would be, right? Sure. 
I want all of Cinder's. She has a computer in her head. I know. I don't want that lie detector. (laughs) But yet Audrey is um, preoccupied with the fact that she can't even cry. It's like, okay. You know, that might actually be a good thing. I cry all the effing time, you guys. (laughs) Although, to be honest, that would actually make me feel the most like someone wasn't human. If they couldn't, like that, like the fact that her foot is metal wouldn't make me feel that way. But like it would, it would seem odd probably to like know someone who was incapable of crying, Mm. especially when you're going through all this grief. I don't know. And I don't know why necessarily, but I feel like it would almost be worse if they couldn't laugh. Oh, that would be scary. Like not everybody cries when they're sad, even if they're extremely sad. But, like, someone who's incapable of humor or laughter, that to me is really, I don't know, that's that's a very human characteristic. Or perhaps that they're not vulnerable and they don't feel fear. Because, mm. like, I know a lot of people, like, no matter how sad they are, they just don't cry easily. Yeah. So I There's still a difference between crying easily and crying at all. Right. Like, she literally cannot cry even when she wants to. And we saw when Peony got taken away, it gave her a headache that she wanted mm-hmm. to cry but couldn't. So, yeah, that's a good point. I feel like you're onto something, though, where in our society right now, it would be considered an elitist thing. I I could almost see people doing it for the benefit of the elitistness of it. Like, yeah, they didn't lose their hand. They just want a hand that can do all this stuff. Yeah, Yeah, like they didn't lose it. They just wanted the implants. They wanted the improvements. It feels like an episode of Black Mirror. I was going to say it feels like an anime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. So there... They're there because they have information. And Kai's like, well, you were already questioned by the police. But she has new information. All of this is like A catches. So Audrey claims that the girl in the video is Cinder. And Kai's like, well, we didn't get a good visual on her. It was really grainy and we was we couldn't see a face. And Audrey says that she had her ID tracked because Cinder was ignoring her comms and she thought she was trying to run away. But it's more sinister than that. And then she calls her an aberration. And then she says, that's too kind of a word. Did you know she can't even cry? And Kai just seems curious. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that normal for cyborgs? I feel like the way he talks to and about, like, about Cinder in this chapter, it would be pretty obvious that he's not anti-Cinder. But maybe I'm speaking because I know Well, I definitely think there's clues there. And to your point, it would be one thing if they came in that way. But then if they're... They're not reading him at all. Like, no. even, <laughs> like, yeah, they should be. Tr- you would think if you're coming in trying to, like, appeal to a guy that you'd be, like, super aware and, like, changing your personality. Like, yes. but, uh, oh, yeah, I agree with that, even though it was just the opposite <laughs> of what you said. That concept of, like, changing who you are to fit the situation. Do you guys watch Friends? I don't, I no. Have, but... There's an episode where Rachel starts working with people and she wants them to like her. So she just keeps saying, yeah, me too, to like everything, including smoking, even though it makes her nauseous to smoke. But she just wants everyone to like her so bad that she's just like, yeah, me too. It reminds me of that where it's like you see in most situations like this, maybe Mean Girls is an easier example. But like you see in most situations like this where it's like. I'll just do whatever reaction I think that person wants me to have. And like you said, they're not reading the room at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, they have an idea in their head of what, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They just assume he feels the same way, yeah. Yeah. And Audrey wouldn't know because she's too high and mighty to associate herself with cyborgs who are a drain on hardworking society. There's a pretty clear parallel there to multiple prejudices around the world, especially some we have in the United States. Um, 
even more so now than when this book came out in 2013. Did it come out yeah. in 2013? And again, this is when we were reading stuff and we were like, can you imagine if things got worse and our society ended up like this without even knowing that we'd have a plague? Yeah. Technology. Well, and there's a lot of like immigration issues that we've had in this country in the last year. Barbara and I talked about that on the episode she was on um, from Badass Literature Society podcast. Um, and like my family are, are immigrants. I'm one of the first people to be born in the United States. My husband's family is from Luxembourg. He and his sister are the first ones born in the United States. So I mean, like, every, there's, that's wait, the whole point of America. Are you from Luxembourg? No, my husband's family is from oh, Luxembourg. Okay. I'm my, Romanian and Jewish. My family is from Luxembourg. That's so cool. My, it's just such a small country, but yeah, I, I really like Luxembourg. Yeah, my husband's mother moved here when she was 12, but she was born and raised in Luxembourg. And then cool. um, my biological father, because I'm actually adopted, my biological father was adopted by an American family when he was, I want to say two, but then my grandparents came over from Romania and like re-adopted him, like got custody of him again when he was seven. And then my mom's side of the family is Italian and Jewish. But I know that there's a lot of prejudices in our society right now about how immigrants are a drain on society mm -hmm. and how they mess with the American um, economy. And I'm not throwing shade anywhere. I'm really not. I'm pro-immigration. I know how population pyramids work. Ours is not going to look good if we don't allow immigration. But I definitely see like a clear parallel here to some of the way people are described, you know, in our country and then all over the world, because it's like that in every country. Every country has people that they think or groups of people that they consider a drain on society. So I think it's interesting that Marissa Meyer included this as a way to address those issues without like singling out one country or one prejudice of, of its own. And that's one of my favorite things about literature in general, especially young adult literature, because you read about how kids who read stories like this will end up being more empathetic or less likely to have those same prejudices because mm -hmm. they've like seen it play out mm -hmm. in in a book. Yeah, Harry like Potter even was Muggle super instrumental in that, yep. you know, yeah. I mean, it, that fingers crossed raised a whole generation of children to think certain ways about, you know, how. Um, derogatory names that people throw about um, are extremely harmful and just and yeah the whole idea authority. of like pure pure blood versus muggle to question yeah. authority exactly yeah. yeah there's a whole a whole bunch of things going on I there think, I think especially Harry Potter because it also gave it in such a way when you were a kid that like you just absorbed it without actually comparing it to the world around you. And then now as an adult, you can see that world around you more clearly and you can draw those parallels more clearly, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think Harry Potter is a great example. And I think Marissa Meyer herself did a good job of including it in the, much the same way. I mean, I read these books when I was in my late twenties, so I can't say, but I think it's similar to how, you know, when you're first exposed to Harry Potter, I was seven when I read the first book. So I definitely didn't notice those parallels to my own society or even world at that time. I wasn't really aware of how big my world was, but I can definitely call them out now. Yeah, and I don't think most kids today would be like, oh, lunars are immigrating to Earth to get away from blah, blah, blah. But then when they hear stories when they're older, I don't know. I think I think it's a similar idea with fiction in general for kids. So, yeah, I agree. What do you think um, about Kai's reaction? To which part? Where he's just curious. Well, no, I think it's interesting because um, Audrey 
goes on this horrible rampage against cyborgs and how they're a drain on our hardworking society. And Kai clears his throat and says, okay, so you said something earlier about evidence about Cinder. Like, can you please get to your point? Um, I think he doesn't want to hear it. I think he, he doesn't either. But I also think it's interesting that, um, you know, he's, he's ever so the diplomat, you know, like he kind of very politely redirects the conversation, which I'm sure is just, you know, part of how he was raised. Um, but part of me is kind of like, can I like stand up and say something, you know, like, like he doesn't correct the situation. Right. He just redirects the conversation. Exactly. But yeah. he also, aren't there a lot of laws in place too? It's not just people's prejudice, right? Like there's a legal system in place that keeps them as sort of secondary citizens. And not that he, that, not that that, but it's not like this is someone he trusts where he should say statements that could sound like he, he has right. to be careful what he says as the leader of the country, even if that's what he thinks. And I guess that he point. totally wants, just wants her to leave, you know, <laughs> like he, he wants to go to bed and have a cup of tea. Um, but I'm just, I hope we see later um, Kai kind of standing up more for cyborgs and correcting people when they say things like this. Yeah. I think he tried a little bit when they were at the press conference and he was like, I don't see her being cyborg as relevant. Like, I think that's part of him being like, this is the only diplomatic way I can readdress the situation but like here in this closed off room with just these two people he has to like redirect the conversation because mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily behoove him to correct it well and i think this is maybe helping him get there marissa because he's seen someone who raised sender talking about her this way right and he knows that so i think if any even if he doesn't say it right now i'm sure that's sinking in and going to shape how he understands the general population's reaction to cyborgs. Yeah, and maybe even his, like, maybe even how he understands Cinder. Yeah. Like, it'll change. Like, she she's, like, it may change his opinion of Cinder, but not the way Audrey hopes. It'll make him sympathize with her more as opposed to the opposite. Do you think this will make him question if she's, if she knew she was lunar at all? Because you would think that if, she knew she was lunar and was in the situation that she would have done something about her stepmom. <laughs> That's a good point to play devil's advocate. The only thing we could say there is that she would want to hide being lunar at all costs. So yeah. doing anything that it, it might draw attention to herself in a way that would make people wonder, like, well, how does she do that? That would be my only thought process. And I think it's not even on their radar that someone could not know that they were lunar, right? Like, that's not yeah. even a possibility they can yeah. consider at this point, well, almost. Think about, like, not knowing who you are. I mean, like I said, I'm adopted. My mom met my dad when I was three months old, and they didn't get divorced until I was 15. So I didn't even know that I had this whole other hair. To, like, I didn't know that my dad wasn't my dad. I didn't know that I had a birth father out there somewhere with a completely different heritage than the one I was raised with and a different culture than the one I was raised with. So, like, to, it is possible for us to not necessarily know where we come from, you know, but I didn't find out I was from a mutant race on the moon. <laughs> I just found out I, I'm with really special kidding. powers. Right. One of my <laughs> one of my biggest irrational fears, Marissa knows this, is that I was switched at a hospital oh my and God. that my family isn't my real family. <laughs> Even though she looks very similar to her mother. <laughs> and yeah, my personality I, is like, yeah, I'm not. It definitely draws attention to the fact of like, Pearl being raised by Audrey 
manipulated and changed how Pearl acts as an adult. So maybe learning all of this stuff is going to be how Kai figures out, well, this is why Cinder acted this way, or this is why Cinder behaved this way, or because he saw her almost slap Cinder at the ball. Like he knows that she was abusive to her to at least a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And that was well, before yeah. he found out she was cyborg. So he had no reason to even know why she attacked her that way at the ball. Yep. And yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for empathy here for Cinder. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, there's a lot of opportunity for him to ask questions that he's not asking. But he's tired. He is he hasn't tired. He slept in 48 hours. <laughs> and it doesn't sound like he's eaten very much. And <laughs> it's it's late and it's late here too. Um so <laughs> the never ending episode. I know. <laughs> so Kai changes the conversation back to the footage and she says it's rather incriminating. The video shows androids arriving to arrest Cinder because that's Audrey's right to forcibly retrieve her. And it's shot from the hover, so kind of like a police car dash cam. And there's actual audio, so you can hear Cinder telling the androids that she was just trying to protect herself from the Medroids, and she only took that which belonged to her family. And then it clicks. And Kai compares the images of the quarantine footage in his mind making the connection and feeling foolish for the hundredth time that week. Hasty <laughs> ponytail, baggy cargo pants, and he remembers Dr. Erland had the antidote right in front of Cinder the day that the boy of quarantine was cured. Well, and again, it's so funny that Audrey figured out something, but also got it so wrong at the same time. She, like, figured out the what, but after living with Cinder for so long, she still like does, she knows her, but she doesn't understand her at all still. And I think that's so yeah. clear with her being like, I think she stole my daughter's ID chip. Mm-hmm. True. It, uh, Cinder was always jealous of both my girls and so spiteful, although I could not have imagined her singing at such a low before. Now I know her true nature. I cannot be surprised. And it's like, wait, you were like on the right track and then you totally missed the why. The words that stuck out to me were, was something like mutilated that which was once precious to her. Mm-hmm. That's heartbreaking right there. That kind of a sentence. But Audrey also says that she hopes, because that's a bit of an A catch. Sorry, before I forget to say, now Audrey knows that Cinder has Peony's ID chip. And she says, well, I want her to be found and punished. Mm-hmm. I want to help any way I can. And again, though, but part of me can sympathize with her if she really doesn't understand why Cinder took the ID chip and she this I mean there is a piece that's like this is a mother who's like her daughter passed away unexpectedly from this disease and now her like identity has been stolen by a fugitive yeah Yeah. we talked about that in the in Cinder too how I wouldn't want anyone to have my sister's identity so I completely understand that yeah and she's determined to assume the worst about Cinder no matter what she does so that's true. It's, it's unsurprising that she would jump to that conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. And like we said, she sees what she wants to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, think about what the news is saying now. Like we see, saw the press conference, but I'm sure that the rest of the media outside of what Kai is saying is painting her to be a v- very bad, not good person. Right. Media distortion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Because also... I know that we haven't seen it, but Kai has to have a publicist. And that publicist is probably working night and day to prove that he's not in league with lunars and cyborgs by sneaking them into the country and letting them be his guests at the ball. 
Which also raises the point, why did he do five press conferences in two days himself if there was not a lot of news? Yeah, we talked about that in Cinder, too. Like, why is he giving press conferences? Why doesn't he have a spokesperson or a publicist? But I, I have to say that we know this world is quite a bit smaller in terms of population. The entire population of the country is only of the world is only like seven million, which is like a literal percentage of what we have now. So perhaps it's just to mimic the fact that it's smaller, maybe because it's such a serious situation. I'm trying to compare it to like our own situation. I guess, I guess it would be like if Trump's son brought Putin's daughter as his date to the prom. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like I'm I'm trying to come up with like a real world comparison and that's all I can come up with. Or maybe someone from North Korea who we have, clear hostilities with um and that's not anything against the north korean people i'm specifically talking about political government entities who have qualms with each other but i that's the only thing i can think of is like it would have to be a a country that you know america has issues with which i guess could be anyone and i guess i could see him (laughs) making an announcement or even updating every time there's a big reveal but five and 48 hours and i think he specifically said nothing had changed or there was nothing new to report i'm kind of like okay let's get let's let him take a nap no that's a good point that is a lot but didn't he do a press conference right before the ball so one of those wasn't even part of the the situation right or no that might be true i can't remember because he did one he had his coronation and then he did a press conference right before the ball where he said he was going to do anything to protect his country and then there was the ball and then he probably had to do one right after the ball and then we saw the one he did the we he did you know last night or whatever. So what were the other three? Just more updates of the same. I, or that's maybe, what I'm okay, saying. I I'm don't trying know. to like come up with an explanation. Okay, so there was one before the ball. There was one after the ball that probably explained the situation briefly. There might have been one after that that explained, um, you know how they were going to handle the situation after negotiations with Lavana. Then there would have been when she met up with Thorne and they got out, right? And then the one we just saw. So those are the five I can come up with. Yeah, I guess a lot of things have happened. It just, the way it was, (laughs) but the way it was described was in which he still had nothing new to report. I think he just doesn't have answers, but he has to satisfy people. There's a lot to report. Yeah. Well, think about how many press conferences Trump is doing right now. I mean, President Trump has done one almost every day since this plague started. And we don't even have a mutant fugitive. I think it's perspective, too, because I feel like he has a lot to report. It's just all bad news. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There's so much to say, but none of it's positive. You just don't want to say anything. Yeah, like a lunar was here, but we caught her. Oh, never mind. She got away. But we're on to her. Oh, never mind. She got away again. And, you know, <laughs> and this time she picked up a buddy with a spaceship that doesn't have tracking <laughs> systems. But it's OK, because eventually they'll have to come back to Earth. When? Mm-hmm. They could have up to two weeks. <laughs> well, that's not exactly yeah. urgent. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's a storm. Yeah, we'll say that it's a storm of information. That's <laughs> oh. a technical term. It is a technical term. Kai draws away from the venom in her tone, which again makes me think of snakes. Mm-hmm. And he can't connect this description with the cinder that he knew. He thought of their paths crossing in the elevator, of her eyes filling with sadness as she spoke of her dying sister. 
how she'd asked if Kai would say the dance for her in case she miraculously survived. Or was every memory he had of Cinder truly nothing more than a lunar trick? What did he know about her really? It wasn't a trick, I promise. But like, what a mind <laughs> for him. I mean, I know. like he has this idea of Cinder who helped him at the marketplace, who spoke with feeling about her sister, um, who has done nothing but be kind to him. And then to discover that she's lunar and could have been manipulating him the entire time and just trying to reconcile with what you know about her or, or what you've experienced with her rather to, to what she could possibly be doing. It's, I mean, I can't even imagine. And again, fear on both sides has kept them from even really knowing or understanding the lunar's ability. So he doesn't even really know what she's capable of. Right. And that she never told him, you know, I think that's the part that's like, if she had told him, would things have been going different? Would he feel differently towards her? Um, you know, but the fact that she withheld that doesn't look good for her. I also think it's like, he doesn't know how much of it to believe. Like, mm-hmm. he knows when Lavana and Sybil are manipulating him because he knows how they act when they're not manipulating him, partly. But, like, he, he doesn't know what Cinder is like outside of the interactions he's had with her. So he doesn't, like, maybe when they met at the market and he thought she was charming, maybe it's because she manipulated him and used her trick to make him think she was charming. Mm-hmm. And he so would question ev- everything. Yeah, and I don't necessarily blame him for questioning everything because, of course, it makes you question everything. Imagine finding out that the person that you that brought you comfort that the person you felt connected to had a way of making you feel that connection, even if it was fabricated, would you know if your feelings were real or not? And he hasn't slept in two days. So just yeah. add that on top. Yeah. <laughs> just keep remembering like hallucinating. that. <laughs> oh, poor guy. So Kai says, are you sure? Cause he kind of doesn't want it to be her. And Audrey says a quote that kills me. This inhuman head of hers. Okay, her head has a lot of really cool stuff in it. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. I've talked before about how, like, the audio and visual and instant Google search would be really handy. But it's just so crude. And it's just so, I mean, there is absolutely no reason to have this kind of hatred. It's rooted in nothing. Like, at least yeah, with the lunar girl. Yeah. Yeah, she's a 16-year-old girl. And and like at least with the lunars, like I'm not saying it's right to be prejudiced against them, but they do have a very unique power where mm-hmm. they could get you to do feasibly anything they wanted you to do. Like, you know, fearing that is one thing, but having this hatred towards this girl who can't help who she is or how she is made, it's like it's it's just so blatantly disgusting. Well, you know, we talked earlier about serial killers, right? Not to compare the two, but we talked about serial killers earlier. How often do you see interviews with the parents of serial killers who are like, I know he did horrible things, but I still love my son? Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, yeah. 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 I love to ask for additional backstories or additional side stories. And I would love to see back when cyborgs, like when the law changed to make cyborg, like what, yeah, what happened? Why did society get so scared and so hateful towards them? There must have been something. I mean, because like we said, I think you brought up a perfect point. These enhancements 
Maybe that's it. Maybe it's because these enhancements make them so much better and more advanced than a regular human being that it's at some point it stopped being synonymous with wealth and elitism. And it started being synonymous with people who thought they were entitled or people who thought they were better. And at Mm. some point it just slowly changed the the perception of it that's not a bad point because if you think of it stemming from an inferiority complex let's say right um of the like the haves and have-nots um you can see how that could lead someone to to turning on cyborgs yeah yeah or from a political standpoint you have way more humans than cyborgs and people are like freaking out you're trying to protect make people feel safe by saying you have more rights than they do yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, how many how many laws were passed? How many politicians were elected just because they went after a minority group? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we obviously, I think, are in agreement that saying cyborgs are bad as a rule is a not good thing to do. But for all we know, there were some really bad, famous cyborgs who like did something terrible that they've not, like their reaction was the wrong reaction because those individuals not. Like an overcorrection? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it could definitely be an overcorrection. And I want Audrey's backstory. I want to see, like, when she was 12 and had some terrible cyborg interaction and how it shaped her. I want, you mean, I, like, how Lily's sister, Petunia, like, how, yeah. why she ended up hating magic as much as she did? Yeah, yeah. that would be great. So Marissa Meyer can get started on that. <laughs> yep. I, have a, I have a long list of things she can... I have so many questions. It turns out that she stole the ID chip and it may still be with her and they can use it to track her. Can they track her in outer space? I don't know. I don't understand the technology well enough. Yeah, I don't either. So it's just a question. Listeners, if you know, text me. Text me. You don't have my number. If you know, (laughs) message me. (laughs) If you know, send me a message, please. If they um, know that, they can probably figure out your cell phone number too. Right. (laughs) Um. So Kai says that they'll use this information to find Sender, but he's hoping that, that they won't. They're, he's hoping that it won't be that useful, but he feels like that's a stupid wish because he has to find her and he only has one day left to do it. It is funny. We've read other stories where we talk about um, political leaders who need to make a choice between like someone they know personally and their country. And it, it's interesting <laughs> because Sender... Like right now, there's a lot of distrust anyways, but even if she, even if he knew everything, there's some degree where he might have to make a choice between turning her over to save his country or like sacrificing his country and refusing to turn her over. Right. Like mm-hmm. right there's now, a world where that that's, there's a world where that's a possibility. Yeah. Like right know. now, there's these other layers of he's not even sure if he can trust her and maybe she, you know, blah, blah, blah. But even if they're, they weren't there. Yeah, but it makes you think of like, what would you do in that situation? Because it's not like he's just a person who has to choose between, you know, his country that he's very patriotic about and the woman that he loves. He's responsible for the entire world at this moment, not just his country. If this ends badly, Lavana said she's going to war. And if she goes to war, it's with entire it's with the entire planet. Like it's that that horrible but so often true greater good concept. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's Cinder, the safety of Cinder versus the safety of literally every human being on the planet and possibly lunars who are going to be forced to fight in a war that they may or may not agree with as well. So I mean 
as much as he wants to save Cinder, as much as he wants to do anything to save Cinder, even saving her isn't going to save her. It's just only it's going to delay the inevitable. Yeah. And but it's, it's not a gonna... fair sacrifice. Not really. I mean, it sucks, but I the mean, whole world. Yeah. Literally <laughs> millions of people dead or slaves because of this one girl that he may never see again. Hmm. I'm not sure that's an even trade. That's why I'm not a politician, right? <laughs> so Audrey's being so vicious right now. She really is a snake in this chapter. And Kai says, you know, they're going to kill her, right? That Lavana is going to execute her. Well, there's a law for a reason. And that's when Kai is like, okay, you can go home now. <laughs> and this is when Audrey, after multiple phrases of, I just want to do what's good for my country. I just want to see this horrid girl brought to justice. I do wonder, might I be able to expect any sort of reward for my assistance? <laughs> okay. Again, uh, that's an advocate. I was really, like, upset with this. Because I was like, really? That's where our focus is? Okay. But she did just lose her only source of income. And she clearly has no idea how to work, get a job, or survive on her own. So... It wasn't her character at all to, like, do something for the good of the country. Like, so, I would have almost so been disappointed true. if she hadn't tried. <laughs> and we, see, we see in our own time frame right now how desperate people can be if they think their incomes are being threatened. So I guess it's it's not the worst thing she could do. And I'd like to think that with all of her problems, she might still be a good mother to her daughter in certain ways and yeah. might be trying to provide for her i mean you I don't get anything like, if you don't ask yeah i i feel like we should I, this is horrible but i almost want to give her credit for waiting till the end you know she wasn't like i have this information what's it worth to you like she gave the information and then was like by the way i gave this out of you know willingness and good in my heart but if you wanted to you know reimburse yeah. me for all of this so yeah, there's that. <laughs> and she doesn't necessarily know Kai very well, right? So I could also imagine some leaders or some people who come from a place of privilege in general not even recognizing the needs of other people, right? Like something yeah. small from him would make a big difference for her potentially. And it might not even cross as like we like there's a lot of other bad things going on here. But no, but that's a good point to bring up. We don't always think of the financial situation of others and people who have money don't think of it at all, you know. So I think it's it's definitely a good point to bring up that like to Kai, it's like you would do that for money. But to Audrey, it's like, well, yeah, I just lost my only source of income. I only have one daughter left and I don't want to starve to death. So it's a good point to bring up. In some ways, it makes me like her more. She turned on Cinder to try to save her own life and her daughter's life, not just to be a biatch. Yeah. Like, I'm glad somebody's playing devil's advocate because I'm, you know, she's the evil stepmom and I'm quick to jump on the let's hate Audrey bandwagon. <laughs> so it's nice to have like at least a little bit of, no, she really could be a good person if only this were here or something. Well, That's what I'd love to Marissa, do, right, Mar uh, Gave us that possibility too you know like I I think that really um speaks to Marissa Mayer's uh talent as an author that you know she's able to give us these characters that are not black and white they are very much gray and they're all going through very complicated things and I think that uh that makes it a much richer story really 
And in, and I think with the sisters, both of them and with Audrey, they're a deeper character. You know, a lot of times with Cinderella stories or fairy tale stories in general, you get a ton of just like this surface level, one dimensional bad person. Mm-hmm. And instead, in this series, what we get is, well, Peony's the she's one of the, quote, evil stepsisters, but she loves Cinder and they have a very kind and respondent relationship. Pearl's one of the evil sisters, but she's not evil altogether. She still loves her own sister. She still loves her mother. Audrey is this evil stepmother, but it looks like she'll do anything for her own daughters. It's just Cinder that she doesn't, you know, have an affection for. So Mm -hmm. it's a good point to bring up because instead of it being this like, you know, these three people who could almost be lumped together into one giant, they're the evil step family. There's three individual people with different identities. Mm-hmm. I have two chapter titles that I came up with. One is Statue by Low Millions. That's about Kai. <laughs> it's pro- again, probably not a song you guys are familiar with because I was like scrolling through my iPhone and it's there's all kinds of stuff on there. It's about not being able to do anything or make decisions or perform coherently without the other person, like standing around mm-hmm. like a statue, laying around thinking about you, trying to do other things that you can't. And then I picked Haters by Hilary Duff. Again, I'm not sure how well known it is, but a lot of the lyrics just translate back to Audrey being a vicious, manipulative snake and trying to manipulate the situation so that it can benefit her in the best possible way. So that's what I thought of. That's it. Who would you guys come up with for song titles? I was inspired by Audrey and Pearl as well. So I picked Video Girl by the Jonas Brothers. Oh my god, um, I have not heard that song in forever. I, well, I went to their concert um, a couple months ago in awesome. Chicago. So, um, I was just thinking of them because the whole um, song is about, like, you know, these very superficial girls who just want, um, you know, they're it's like they're all the same. They all want the money. They're all insane. They live for the fame. So it's kind of like they want this. Um, they're very hungry for like secondhand celebrity status. And yeah. it just reminded me of when they went to um, see Kai and they're so simpering to him, you know, they're like so pandering and so like batting their eyes at him and saying what they think he wants to believe. And I was just like, "Ugh, you're so fake. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. I like that one. So again, I just stuck with T. I stuck with what I knew. Um, <laughs> And I actually think there's probably better songs than this, but I think I was just tired or something. But I don't, or look what you made me do. I think there's a couple lines in there. I think that um, her family, or her stepmom in general blames anyone but herself, right? Like, oh, you made, like, I just feel like she's like, I like I can't take any responsibility. You made me do this. And then even that line, um, the role you made me play of the fool, it reminded me of Kai's quote where he said he found himself feeling like a fool for the hundredth time that week and kind of like it's all about Cinder and how he's so I don't know. There were just a couple lines, but I don't I think there's probably a better like betrayal revenge. No, I like that. About T-Swift. I have to check because I think I used that one already. <laughs> oh, no. I used it for chapter 13, but. If we're thinking of Taylor songs, I wonder if Bad Blood would be good or... Okay, what um, about... This is not Taylor Swift. I also listen to country music. What about I Should Be Sleeping 
Because now that we've talked about it, all oh, I want is I for Kai song. to sleep. God, I haven't heard that song in forever. Yeah, by, I like that one. By Emerson Drive. And it's also kind of funny because it's up like thinking about a girl, but it's a little bit different situation. But still, still he's kind of thinking God, about I, a girl. I've not heard like. that song in forever. I feel okay. like I really could pick a Taylor Swift song for every chapter. That was, what was that chapter? Why did I even pick that one? I think that was the chapter where her dad came back and I was thinking about like how um, they kept making each other do things like she was doing all this stuff for grandma. They made him do stuff to get information. Oh, yeah. He was kind of blamey, too. Like she helped me. And yeah. Yeah. That was the one where she had that her and her dad had that argument in the garage and he like broke her car and stuff. So anything with glamoring actually look what you made me do could work. I know. Totally. <laughs> look what you made me do could work a lot. I'm really excited. To, I cannot wait until I find the perfect chapter for I did something bad because I want to use that song so badly. Ooh, that's a great one. That is a well-written jam, that is. <laughs> that song reminds me of um, The Young Elites by Marie Lou. Yeah. I read that one. I haven't read that one. Okay. Ooh, but I, I will take it. your word for it. <laughs> from the villain perspective right Ooh, that's exciting I loved it <laughs> what were your quotes for chapter 28 I'm gonna go with Kai drew away from the venom in her tone and couldn't connect her accusations to his own memories of Cinder oh I love that because I feel like it was all about her being nasty and him being like wait but Cinder <laughs> yeah I agree um I picked same same um, character um, about Kai, um, the one where he says he found himself feeling like a fool for the hundredth time that week. Um, just because I was like, this poor kid, he's 18 years old. He's going through so much. And like, yeah, he may be the king, but also like he's human and he's going to mess up and he's going to feel insecure. Yeah. And he probably has the worst case of imposter syndrome right now. And <laughs> I just I can relate to that. And I, I feel for him. Yeah. Well, and being 16 with a crush and thinking your crush didn't feel the same way you did in general, I feel like would make you feel like a fool, right? And then yeah. you add, all, again, all these layers. We all remember that first sting of rejection. It's not fun. <laughs> My quote was also Kai. It was Kai caught himself before he could smile at the memory of Cinder, shy and stammering. Hmm. Poor baby Kai, this chapter just... No, I'm not a huge Kai fan, but this chapter, I'm definitely on his side. I'm a fan of, like, every character in every Marissa Meyer book ever. <laughs> I don't feel for him in the sense that, like, I understand what he's going through. But, like, the more we see of what Kai's going through, I'm like, you poor thing. Like, somebody make this kid a margarita, turn mm. on some cartoons, get him some comfy pajamas. Like, like he needs to just ch- get him some nachos or something because he hasn't eaten. Like, Give him some NyQuil, just, just that. Like, <laughs> Knock him out. Poor Kai. Give him some z or some NyQuil. Give him a hug. Tuck him in. So that was it. How did it feel going chapter by chapter in so much detail? It's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think it was going to take us this long. We really committed. Well, it was it was fun. I mean, I had a really great time. I think it was. Oh, I'm at 10 percent battery, just so we know. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll have to speed up. There is two okay. Easter eggs. Next chap, next week, read chapters 29 and 30. Rate, review, and subscribe. Where can people find MNK Talk YA podcast? 
So MNK Talk YA is available on all your podcast platforms. So we're on Spotify, we're on Apple uh, Podcasts, we're on iTunes, Stitcher. Um, you can also find us um, at MNK Talk YA at Instagram and MNK Talk YA on Facebook. Yay! And listeners, remember, just like always, there will they will be tagged when this episode comes out. So you can always just click on the post I make on Instagram, and you'll find them that way too. We would uh, love to hear from you. We also answer every bit of fan mail that we receive. Yay! <laughs> Which is always and we would love to have you on an episode. Yes, I would love to. That would be super fun. We use dad jokes in all of our episodes, so think of a good one. Does yeah. it have to be a dad joke? Because remember, I taught preschool, so I've got a ton of those. It has to be a bad joke. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to hear a joke about pizza? Sure. Yeah. Not nah, too cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get you ready. will get right in. <laughs> I'm uh, Do you want to hear a joke about cats? Yeah. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> my husband thinks those are stupid, so he's super annoyed. But I think they're so cute. We love them. That's our We're favorite. All about that. We'll have to remember those for when I get to guest on. And yeah, until next time, don't get glamoured. <laughs> I love that sign off. That's so great. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Scarlet by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guests were Marissa and Katie from MNK Talk YA podcast. The logo art for this podcast was created by Angela Wong on Instagram. Thank you for listening.